I think Ireland are going to have to carry three tens. Johnny Sexton, of course you're going to have to carry a third ten. Mm. Crowley and Ross Byrne will go with Johnny. But one injury of those three and Joey's then travelling. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. So you're very welcome along. It's myself and Shane with you this morning. Shane, what's happening? Morning, how are things? What's going on? Oh, all quiet. You scored Happy a Friday. stoppage time winner. Ah, uh, see, this is just during the week. I don't even have to bring it what up. It? Everyone brings it up. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, Cavan Monaghan Premier Cup semi final. Three all, going to extra time. Yeah. 92nd minute, get the ball 30 yards out. Think, you know what? Have a pop here. You only live once. Take what you Bent into the top ends. Take a booze, someone's playing in your head. Do you know? So it was a uh, 4 3 against Cavan. Top ends? Yeah, top ends. Wow. Top right hand Actual corner. top ends? Uh, fully top ends. Wow. Oh, Adrian, it was a Did strike you, and a half. Was that your first goal of the evening? It was first goal of the evening. How come yeah. you didn't score in the previous 90 minutes? Well, I'd, I'd scored in the eight previous games. I'm yeah. on a bit of a streak here, yeah. including a hat trick in there and a couple of braces. <laughs> so let's, let's just say the so goal that scoring. Qualifies you. Was that a, what did you say? What, was, what stage of the game was that, it? That was the 92nd minute. What, what stage oh, of the tournament? Semi final. Okay. Yes, so you're through to the final now. Against, final against Las La Villa. A couple right. of weeks' time, so right, very good. I'm glad you brought that back up. <laughs> back up, I mean, okay, okay, okay. We spoke about it yesterday, but I'm, I'm glad to talk Chatting about it. Too much about it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not at all. Fantastic. That's fair enough. And you have a big interview coming up later on today that we might. Yeah, yeah. This is the highlight of your life, basically. We can tease yeah. it. We can tease it. So Ronnie O'Sullivan, Ronnie O'Sullivan, yeah. coming into studio uh, later on today. Incredible. We're gonna we're gonna air it probably on Monday's show, I'd imagine, or across the weekend. You'll see some clips from it. So looking forward to that. Okay, here's what's coming up on the show between now and 10 this morning. Ronan Agar is standing by. We're going to get uh, to him in just a moment. After that, we'll continue with the rugby. Alan Quinlan will be in studio, obviously. A couple of big games to preview this weekend, so we'll do more of that with Quinny at 10 to 8. We'll have Conleth Gilligan and Joe Kernan joining us just after 8 to preview the Ulster football final this weekend. Joy Neville and Andy Brace have just been appointed as two of Ireland's team of four to officiate at Rugby World Cup 2023. And uh, Joy particularly becomes the first ever female uh, official at a men's rugby World Cup, so that's uh, uh, a good story coming your way a little bit later on. And Jason McIntyre is today going to be the subject of You Had to Be There, and there are some brilliant picks in it. You won't want to miss it, and that'll be on just after nine, and then John Giles from the show last night. So that is the run of things coming up between now and ten this morning. Very uh, uh, big welcome straight off the bat to Ronan Agari. Good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Good, how are you getting on? Good, thank you. Yeah, the sun is shining, so... Um it's been a while coming, so good weather, hopefully, um, even though it's meant to be raining in Montpellier tomorrow. But um, uh, things are good. Yeah, exciting time of year, obviously. So the games keep coming and um, we need a point out of tomorrow's game, a uh, point minimum, obviously, uh, to get a guaranteed home semi-final for, uh, it's not home semi-final, to go straight to a semi-final for, for the top 14. So um, loads, loads at stake and exciting times. And you've been saying for ages that's exactly where you need to be at this point of the season to get that uh, week's breather. And just the point needed is that, uh, I'm sure I know your answer to this, but in terms of your approach to the game and the general mindset, it's a very different approach from that, as you've well described previously, about that constant beat of needing to win, 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 week in, week out. Yeah, yeah, well, it just becomes a different, I suppose, um, set of circumstances late in the game in the fact where normally... Uh, you go for a win, but you need to think bigger picture in this regard. We're 10 points clear of Stade Francais. We play them in the last game, so we have a lot in our favour. Uh, they need two, five points to catch us. Um, so, uh, both in terms of, I suppose, the immediate future, um, you know I mean, if you're, whatever, eight points down tomorrow, um, 
kicking a, a penalty is hugely important. So in, in France, the system works where it's five points or less. You get a, bo- a bonus defensive, which means a, a, a bonus point for finishing within five of your opponents. Can the can the weather forecast drastically change your tactical plans, Ronald? Like, say, for example, it's given certain weather and then very, very late in the day, a couple of days before the match or a day before the match, you realise, ah, it's actually going to piss down here. So do you have to change things uh, at all? Yeah, you would. You would have to. It's 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 the one sport I'm convinced that it has huge impact on the game. The weather, you know, I think uh, for the amount of handling that's involved, it's obviously so much easier to handle a dry ball. Um, so, no matter how skilled you are, there's still an extra um, component of concentration and time required to catch pass at ease when it's lashing out of the heavens and there's a, and there's wind involved with it too. Obviously, uh, I mean, a wet ball is unpleasant compared to a dry ball and it becomes um, more advantageous for, uh, for the defensive, I suppose, points in the game. We had uh, James Tracy in studio last week, Ronan, uh, just after the Heineken Cup semi-finals, and uh, obviously the conversation turned to your own uh, victory and his thoughts on the La Rochelle set-up ahead of the Leinster game. Uh, we have a short clip here, I think you've seen the longer clip, but here's the short clip for people who haven't seen it. The last few La Rochelle games, like, they really pushed the boundaries on um, the breakdown. Okay, so how are we going to stop Leinster? At source breakdown is, is seems to be kind of the narrative of how of what how they go about it. So, you know, we we are kind of dependent a lot on, on having uh, good officials because if they get away with kind of not holding their body weight and just killing the ball, there's not much you can do really. And and, and it's very frustrating when yes they give clean perches on the ball, but a lot of times they're not on their feet and they just get rewarded for time after time. And they might get pinged once or twice, but then the momentum swings and they're getting rewarded for it and. and Given how uh, recent he was in that Leinster dressing room, it might be a good insight to the way they're thinking. What are your, uh, what's your reaction to that? Are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. I've never heard that. Um, and is James Tracy um, part of the Leinster setup? No, or is he retired okay. in the last year and yeah, fully detached. In the last, okay, he retired in the in the last year. Okay, I thought he retired in through in the year, no. Possibly, was certainly within the last year, anyway. Yeah, within this season. So December, I think. Part, yeah, part of their setup. Yeah, there. If they're a family and they, they are. If a guy gets injured, obviously he remains part of your setup till the end of that season, and then he will be presented with something. Yeah, so it's interesting. Give, gives me straight from the team meeting to uh, off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, uh, it's 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 possible. Well, yeah, well, exactly. I'm just wondering, is it a plant on Leinster's behalf or is this James Tracy as a new guy setting out on a, on a new career? Um, that's, I suppose, the first thing that strikes me because um, uh, in terms of, yeah, the breakdown, he has he is an opinion on that with stopping Leinster, but we could also, I suppose, turn it as like, um, you know, how do you stop Leinster, but how do you stop La Rochelle, you know, it depends how you frame the question, what you want out of it, how you see it, you know, so uh, it will become uh, obviously uh, a little bit spicy in the build-up to the game. Uh, certain camps put a huge emphasis on uh, work behind the scenes with referees, um, but I think my 10 years has taught me to try and control the things we can control, put your energy into that, and uh, the better team will win on the day.
Um, his his point about the um, so the, to summarise basically what he's talking about is Larchelle, um pushing the boundaries at the breakdown. He was talking about not holding on to um, players, not holding on to their own body weight. He said uh, pinged once or twice, but get away a lot with it. And he went into detail about the hooker, which would have been his own position, uh, breaking the fifteen into open play before the lineout was technically over. In whatever regard that it, you know, whatever circumstance that would have been, that that there's a pushing of the boundaries. I suppose would be the overall. Point. Yeah, yeah. All good teams push the boundaries. There's no doubt about that. But I think what's different between the guys he would have trained with in the past and the guys that are in my camp would be, I suppose, the physical power. So, you know, I mean, the first thing is that uh, it's not easy to to win collisions with or without the ball when you run into a Bouberit and Aldra de Botti and Antonio Skelton. So uh, footwork from the ball carrier needs to be very important and they need to be very good at that. Otherwise, it becomes a mismatch because the more dominant uh, player wins. Mm. So that'll be something we'll be we'll be looking at and something we've been good at no matter who's wrestling. So I think what good sides, great sides do is they they put their energy into them into themselves. There's everyone has a different viewpoint on it and it's easy to go whinge to the referee and say that they're not controlling their body weight and um stuff like that. So um yeah, that's an interesting clip. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll take that for the compliment in which uh, spirit in which it was delivered. Um, the, the point about pushing the boundaries is used as a sort of a euphemism, right, for like bending the rules slightly. And actually, when I saw the James Tracy clip last week or the interview last week, the thing that jumped out for me was like that we'd been lauding the All Blacks for that type of thing for years. So like one team's infringement is another team's... Um, eking out uh, a benefit within the game. What is there, like that sort of stuff that he's talking about, is that, does that sound alien to you? You like, I don't know what he's talking about. Is that the sort of stuff that just crops up in the middle of games? Is that the sort of stuff that you can... Over here I remove from the chit-chat in the pubs and in the shops and on the street and mm. in, in, in Dublin or, and it's surrounding counties and provinces that uh, watch and support Leinster. What's undeniable is that Leinster are very very good uh, but a lot of teams have let them be very good so mm. the plan will be to um, play as much ball as we can and then um, as I said earlier let the better team win They're, they have been um, very very impressive and we're playing them obviously in the Aviva which makes it more daunting but way more exciting because um the I suppose the consequences of, of hitting top form and producing a season's best performance for us, which we will need, uh, brings its own reward. So, you know, I just see the the privilege, the joy uh, in preparing a team to to try and win a European Cup final. For me, it excites me hugely. There'll be subplots, there'll be energy put in all or into different things, but it's going to come down to who can execute on the day. Yeah, and this one is obviously a bit like you're alluding to a subplot and an interesting talking point and um, can become a subcontext or a lead into the game or whatever. Um, but equally, like the the that ability to sort of people again, there's a lot, an awful lot of euphemisms that are used around it, like playing the ref or whatever it might be. Is that the sort of stuff that you can? Um, practice for or be good at like and I'm not talking about because every, every every you've said it already every good team is doing that like you're not at the races if you're not looking at ways to get a benefit um, over your opponent yeah, or to work course, with the referee you're playing with 
the strengths are very um, different in both teams and the fact that, you know, you look at Furlong Porter, Sheehan, Ryan, Doris, Conan, um, Van der Fleer. Brilliant, brilliant rugby players, but very different to Antonio Bugaret, Wardy, Skelton, Batia, Aldridge, you know. So in what, what you're trying to do just different profiles of player. Um yeah. in the fact that um you know, different capacity to do things, different capacity how how they play the game. So as a coach, Leinster would be trying to set their guys up to to get moments where they're very comfortable playing their game while well, I'd be setting up my team to try and uh, get us to do what we're good at and that's uh, playing with the ball, you know. So, um, I mean, it depends on, on on how you see it and what approach you're have ta- you you're going to take to it. But, um, I mean, there's undoubted quality on uh, on both sides uh, but you're, you're hoping like we did in the Exeter game and like Leinster did in the, in the Toulouse game, that it's the, the winner was clear and evident for everyone. A lot of finals sometimes become tight, but I think what you have with these two teams is that you, the, the, two, the teams are going to fire shots and one team will break and, and uh, the other team will go on, obviously, and win it. It's the dark arts, essentially, Ronan, isn't it? What James Tracy is talking about there, for all intents and purposes, and and it's not a, it's not something that's exclusive to rugby. You get the dark arts. We spoke about it plenty of times in the show about Gaelic games and uh, soccer as well, and plenty of other other sports. But it's it's one of those aspects of rugby that it's not like one team does it more than another, or is it? Dark arts is a different subject. I think there are definitely players who are good at dark arts in terms of blocking and uh escorting back and kick chase what uh we're talking about here is is your skill set mm. there's nothing to do with dark arts for me if you're a very good chop tackler and you're very good at poaching ball which um a lot of La Rochelle players are you get rewarded if you're inaccurate at poaching ball and sloppy in your technique you get punished it's very very simple there's no dark arts in the ball there's a lot of skills the same as a kicker kicking goal, goals there are a lot of good goal kickers. There are a lot of goal kickers that crumble under pressure. There are a lot of players that can lose that position um, in a post position because they don't have the strength to keep that position, while uh, the guys that are uh, able to do that and work on their technique and understand the rules and understand uh, the laws of the game, they get rewarded. So, um, And there's a few freaks playing um, because Batia... Anyone who has played against them and Leinster players have said it to me in the past, they are uh, incredibly impressed by by this guy. And anyone who referees him says exactly the same thing after the game. So uh, they're special players on both sides. And we've got to remember that it's um, a spectacle that um, needs to highlight, I suppose, the strengths of both teams. You probably get used to these uh, media narratives and, as you say, uh, interviews that uh, crop up. Um, you know, in the weeks before a big match, especially that the week ten days before a massive match like this, interviews are done on both sides, and you know whether people will admit it or not, or not or, you know the the effort is there to, I guess, get some sort of advantage. But that's that's professional sport, isn't it? I, I, I suppose in your position, you get used to that over t- over time. Um, yeah, especially because you're in the staff now, or you're the manager of the team, or as we say in France, which is the head coach in in Irish lingo. Uh, but um, 
it becomes nearly uh, this. Yeah, it's a game that sometimes has no influence on the game because there's 23 guys who would put on their socks and shorts and jersey and game day and are they in control of their emotions or not? Are they in a good place? And where um, have they got in their headspace to perform? You know, so all this thing is is talk before the game, which are 80 minutes. There'll be kickoff for either us or for them and then it'll be just, um, it'll be full on and if you're able to adapt, if you're able to think straight, if you're able to uh, execute your plan, uh, that for me is the interesting thing. The build-up is is a little bit, uh, obviously, for uh, fans and supporters. The important thing is to not say too much. <laughs> say which too much? Like, in, for for your position, the important thing is to not... You don't want to say anything that... I'm, I'm not certainly talking about stuff that gets put up in the dressing room wall or whatever, but like... No, I don't, I don't, I don't think... Uh, you have to take that into account too. If they want to put stuff up in the wall, that's a reflection on them. Yeah, you know? but I mean, you don't want to be saying anything that's. Um, you have to. Do, are, are suppose if I slightly reword it? Are you what? Do you watch your uh, words a little bit more in the lead into a game like that? I think you watch your words all the time. You've got to be very not watch your words, but you've got to be very conscious of what you're saying as accurate and honest. Mm. Because I've worked under coaches in the past where they haven't been honest and they're were picked apart by players because they were told this and that and there's no consistency in their behaviour. What players, I think, maybe don't like, but they respect as if they're getting clear messages and consistent messaging. And um, it makes for, for stronger relationships. Stronger relationships obviously mean for a stronger group. So, um, you know, I think it's a, um, a fantastic opportunity for for my club to go to Dublin uh, to contest a European Cup final. It doesn't get any juicier, it doesn't get any better and the excitement involved in that um, is will be the dominant, I suppose, sentiment going, going towards kick-off time. How much uh, prep have you done for that already? Um, very little, to be fair. Uh, oh, sorry, well, for the, for the for the Leinster game, which you're you're investing in your team all year round, you know the goal is to get better every Saturday, and my players will be fully aware of that message coming from me. Uh, so um, it may sound surprising, but we would put so much of the energy which you need to be into controlling uh, our performance because. I mean, how many knock-ons do we make in the game? How many missed tackles do we make? How many kick-off receptions do we drop? That has nothing to do with Leinster. It's got to do with our skill set. So mm. we need to make sure that we're strong at our fundamentals. And uh, it's the same as any other week where the focus will be on us because the beauty of coaching here is I feel that if we get ourselves right, we can beat anyone. Are you, by the same token, like, are you on the Monday morning after the semi-finals turn around to Donegaroyne or the rest of your coaching staff and saying, right, find me the place where we can target them? Um, yeah, we'd, uh, obviously, uh, that is important. Uh, but it's it's another 5%. But if you're looking at that to be the be-all and, and end-all uh Adrian, you're missing. I think when you become consistently good as a team, and no matter what sport it is, you're continuously building on your basics, on your basic, and you're adding a layer, and you're adding a layer. 
what you can't do is explode on a big occasion. That would be mean that your, I suppose, your values or your basics aren't strong enough to contest a final against a brilliant team like Leinster. So uh, I think, you know, I've... Um, the way, you know, I mean, uh, Leo came on, Guy used to be came into dressing him after last year's final, really, really classy. They were hurting. That could well be me Saturday week. That's what happens in sport. But I would be so uh, annoyed or disappointed if, if I was watching a European Cup final on TV. You know, this is this is where every coach in Europe wants to be. This is where you test yourself for. And it's it's an incredibly great opportunity. It probably depends on, on the size of a coaching staff as well, but do you have the, the, the ability, I guess, Ronan, after you beat Exeter in the semi-final to, to set aside some staff to concentrate solely on Leinster, or is it everyone is, is obviously focusing on Montpellier and these other games first? No, because Leinster are very smart. You know, It's not as if you look at a, a t- footage of them for an hour and you go, oh yeah, I have them here. You know, the, the detail is of where you can find opportunity against a team like that is very, very small. Mm. Every team has weaknesses. They'll pick out areas, they'll go after us. We think we can find a few uh, chinks with them. But like you're dreaming to kind of go, well, I have five players here, we're going to score five tries from, you know. It doesn't work like that. It's it's about trying to put them under pressure uh, by, uh, I suppose, keeping hold of the ball and trying to be... Um, picking good decisions in the heat of battle. Um, there's obviously the opportunity to see uh, Leinster in the heat of battle. Maybe the team is, doesn't bear a huge resemblance to the team they're going to play in the um, Champions Cup final, so maybe there won't be a huge amount in it. But we've been joined, obviously, um, by your good friend in studio here as well in the meantime. Uh, Alan Quinlan's here. Um, and we're going to talk to him a little bit more detail about the Munster-Leinster game. What's your expectation about, or any thoughts to it at all, about the um, Munster-Leinster game at the Aviva tomorrow? My opinion is it? Yeah. Um, well, I saw Munster. Well, I've got um, four, I suppose, high-profile injuries at the weekend, which um, weakens their hand because there's no matter who you're talking about. When quality comes out, there are certain players that are very, very difficult to replace. Uh, I haven't seen teams on either side, and uh, it has a big impact on what. Um, I suppose result or performance you would expect depending on who is who's playing. Um, aside from the injuries, Munster will be pretty loaded. Um, but what Leinster have opposed to any other team is that they have, um, you mean thirty players, forty players who can go in and um, keep that performance level at a really, really high um, level. So they're in the Aviva. They will be. Um, Hot favourites to to beat Munster again, um, but you need to see team sheets to give you an accurate call on it. Yeah, we won't know that for a little bit. Uh, interesting as always. He didn't bite anyway. <laughs> Fair play to your kids. You didn't bite. <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 a tough one. Um, I think being respectful to James Tracy, like he, this is stuff that he's opinion as he's seen and. You know, if I was talking about Munster, I'd be probably trying to highlight it. And I've probably done it in commentary myself when they play the opposition. Classic example of that was last year. Went to New Zealand, first test, Ireland played the All Blacks. Um, 
Ireland played the All Blacks and uh, they have problems around the breakdown. They highlighted next week. I was kind of vocal in some of the stuff, even on off the ball or in, in interviews afterwards. And uh, it changes the following week. So this stuff can make a little bit of a difference. I think Jaco Piper is a very good referee. And I think both, and obviously, Rod, you don't, you don't need to comment on this, but both coaches will have things that they see. Um, and that's just the way the modern game goes. And us as pundits or ex-players, we kind of will say some things. Um, I don't think he's... I think it's probably coming from James as well that being in that dressing room and this stuff has been highlighted and, and it shows the level of detail that mm. a team like Leinster go to. Um, and it gets ingrained in you as well. And you, you even if I talk to a coach for an, from any team... You know, they might say something to me, and I and it goes into my head, and and it's something. God, I didn't really notice that. Um, James, obviously, that's his opinion as well. And but both sides, and this is you know the kind of mind games of of such a big game, will look to chat to the referees, and it does happen a lot. And you've got to be squeaky clean, and and I think. Roger will know this. Leo will know this. Discipline is going to be really important, you know, and getting that stuff right. Even for example, last week, you know, Leinster, Glasgow, or Munster, Glasgow over in Glasgow, Andrea Piardi, the referee, um, the entry entry points there for for um, for both teams. He penalised both sides. Yeah. So this kind of coming in from the side, and and he was really sticky on that. So you need to communicate with the referee, and there I say it's probably the dark arts. Um, I couldn't criticise anyone for stealing a yard or two here in in, in matches because uh, <laughs> I probably half the time I didn't know I was offside and uh, referees were kind of coaching me and saying like, come on, um, you're making fair, this one a bit obvious. It's a fair observation. James has been very good, by the way. He's been absolutely really good, uh, no, no, and uh, it's not uh, even a uh, criticise of the game. I know that, but I, I felt actually just important. The general, uh, I, I don't know where the the uh, it's been alluded to, obviously, about where the uh, tone of the comments come from. But he's been very good, Ronan. You've been way over time, so um, good luck. We'll talk to Have you again. Nice Cheers. No, didn't so thank I you for going back into it there, by the way. But uh, no, I don't <laughs> think there's um, there's any. Um, obviously, it's, it's, James is very articulate and very, very intelligent very rugby really man. You know like, what I mean? Um, so there's uh, not a huge analyst of the game. I know that, but I, I felt it was a good, important thing to say. Um, the the uh, that point about the like uh, infringements, like uh, all, every good team is at that. Absolutely, and Leinster added, La Rochelle added. Um, for years we said Ireland are Blacks amazing. Look at look at how they can play the yeah. referee and like I, even as opponents you'd be lauding them for like how they played the referee. It even sometimes you play uh, Sean Edwards for years. How much um, you look at the t- his teams, the line speed, the defence, and honestly, I've commentated on those games at times, and you think they're half a yard offside, but like there's six of them together in a line and they're coming off so quickly. Nobody's shooting out of the line, and it's yeah. so difficult for referees. They need a lot more assistance from um, the assistant referees to pick up stuff. And if it's an individual shooting out, it looks very obvious. The crowd go, they start cheering, and referee goes, hand out, he's offside. Um, of course, you push the boundaries. And we did look at the All Blacks a lot, and it was mentioned when I played with Munster and uh, with Ireland. In, in earlier years things they were doing when you analyse the opposition the way they could you know block people out um, you know escort runners going back subtly stopping someone from, from making a challenge in the air all that kind of stuff Joe Schmidt's teams were really good at it weren't they for, for Ireland and you know I, I wouldn't have looked at it as been 
You look at it as being really shrewd and Huge. exploiting oh, yeah, we're, space. We're that God, a fellow standing here with his hands and up like that. And is he actually blocking someone or is he just standing in the way of someone? Do you know what I mean? And uh, that's that happens a lot. And it's very difficult for referees. And there's a lot of problems at the breakdown still, in my opinion, yeah. as regards uh, entry points. And there is our own player safety and... Um, you know, protecting players. I made this point um, to someone after the game the other day. Once had four HIAs in that game, mm. 10, 15 years ago, those four players would have played on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, it, it in some ways it caused a concern that four players in one game, but honestly, that would have happened and they would have played on yeah. before. So, player safety is very important and a big part of that is the breakdown. So, um, it's it still right needs to be policed very well. It's well, yeah, yeah. The, the two uh, URC semis, so we'll uh, reverse back into the Stormers Connacht uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock in a minute, but uh, we'll continue with Leinster Munster for the minute tomorrow at the Aviva at half past five. Bernard Jackman during the week, uh, I saw saying that um, with the injuries to Munster, it's a freebie for them. You can look at it that way, and yeah, I was talking to Jaron Monday about this, and and even on the podcast this week, like, um, are you in this this bonus, bonus territory? You know, and they are, aren't they? Realistically, like, as long as they don't get it depends what way you look at that as a player yourself. Because if you feel if it can take away some pressure, it can enable a higher level of performance in a sense that you nearly you're not restricted and tense and mm-hmm. tight, and you nearly try something. And if one of these things come off, then you go, Jesus. This is great. We're in the flow. We're in the buzz. Mm. But if you allow it to kind of go, oh, do I want to get back up as quick? Obviously, you're not consciously making a decision like mm. that. But out of desperation, sometimes pressure can bring a level of performance yeah. in all sports. You know, how often does the underdog shock the big team yeah. in a final? It, it can happen. happen yeah. um, the FA Cup for years was the great, mm. a great barometer for that. But so I think. I think Munster will feel that um, they've got to have desperation here and of course afterwards and people outside of the, the group will think yeah they went to South Africa and salvaged their season they qualified for Europe they finished fifth um, three great away results which you can build on mm. um, showed real steel determination a level of resilience that's required going forward I think um, compared to a very poor start to the season where they lost five of the first seven games and even one of those wins early on against Zebra was no bonus point down in Cork it cost them a point could have been costly in the end but it wasn't um, after Glasgow was like this panic God, the season could really peter out they've just lost they're in danger of not making Europe or the playoffs and what they did in South Africa. And even going to, to, to Glasgow last week and fronting up from a physical point of view, Glasgow haven't been beaten there all season. The Stormers hadn't been beaten in 21 games mm. at home. So there are things that you can say, right, there's something there that we can build on. So they finish, they finish strong. Will they kind of go, well, Leinster, the narrative is Leinster, no matter who they pick, will still win. It's in Dublin. They're too good. We've the injuries. If you buy into all that stuff... You're goosed. You need people in the dressing room this week going, this isn't bonus territory for us. This is... Who are those people? Specifically, who are those people in the Munster dressing room? You need leaders. Who are they? I don't know because I'm not in that dressing room, but obviously Peter Romani is a great leader for the team and he showed brilliant leadership and fight and dog in the last few weeks. in or out this weekend? They don't know still. Um, They were giving him every chance. Um, 
Conor Murray has been superb for Munster and I think he's I've said this before um, getting dropped by Alderton Munster 23 for Northampton in a European game is a big kind of big, it's big news like mm. for a guy at, at his level his response has been superb and he's an example for anyone dropped in any, in any sport all the stuff came out that week of him patting fellas on the back, encouraging people, being an unbelievably positive influence. It's difficult to kind of put your disappointment to one side, but that's how you respond. That's how you get back, and that's how you earn respect for people and, and become a real leader. Um, so, yeah, they need everyone right across the board talking it up and saying, look, there's an opportunity here. It's a very hard challenge. Um and for any team playing Leinster, no matter what team they play, they're at a level now that's really, they're so diligent in everything they do, their skill set, their tempo, their pace, their accuracy, all that kind of stuff. And they don't panic. They're a very strong, powerful, resilient team themselves. Um, so it's going to be a very difficult situation for, for Munster. But they've got to believe that they need to bring a brilliant performance here and, and take their opportunities. And I think Graham Rowntee did say it, and it is obvious there are certain things they could have been a lot better at last week. They could have made it more comfortable for themselves um, around taking opportunities. But if they get a chance or two tomorrow, I think it's really... To get, to have any chance, they've got to... I think if they get a good start in the game and score, score some points early on, again, it's kind of obvious. Those those injuries we mentioned, Murray, Snyman, uh, Nash, Fekatoa, uh, we're not sure, obviously, on O'Mahony or Jim and Barron, I think, might still yeah, be out as well. About six. Can that, it's hard to swing a positive from, from those injuries, but can there be an impact of players who will start a massive URC semi-final tomorrow that otherwise, if all those players were fit, wouldn't have? So it, for them, I guess, it's a free hit. Yeah, it is in a sense, but it's, it kind of, um, if they had the team that last week and probably the bench, you're saying, God, this this is probably the strongest forward pack, certainly, that they could, you know, close to the strongest um, forward pack that they could have available to themselves and and the impact off the bench, very important as well. So it does give opportunities, I think. I just think for any neutral, any Munster fan or neutral would like to see RG Snyman out in the field, given his story and all, you know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. it's just been uh, unbelievably disappointing for him and lucky for him but I think he's never got a kind of a crack at Leinster and you just kind of think from a Munster point of view he played that game a couple of years ago where he was lifting the line out four, five, ten minutes was it? I, don't, I can't remember he was, it was very early in that game gone mm -hmm. so um, he would have been really important to him but um, there is opportunity for other players but you know it's it's highly unlikely that they, they will get a result, but I think they have a great opportunity to continue the, the, the fight and determination, um, add a, adding a little bit of skill and, and, and opportunity-taking, taking their opportunities tomorrow. Um, Leinster won't give them too many, but if they get one or two... And being disciplined, Quinny, like Leinster's record very important, of, yeah. of like putting teams away when they pick up yellow cards or whatever is and just it's not panicking really when they're piling on the pressure in the attack zone of the 22 that you're the referees and going like uh, offside 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 that gives Leinster a real chance to play and then if they you know if they don't score off that they're doing the tap and go penalty there was two of them down in Limerick you know in the game at Christmas where Munster uh, after half time Leinster have a sin binning uh, they score a penalty try 
what a boost they go ahead in the game at Thoman Park Leinster a little bit weakened as regards selection you think kick on here and they're going to they're going to get a, a long awaited win in the league against Leinster but you know in that 10 minute period they go up the field score two tries and uh, see out the game by a point shows how good they are and that they don't panic so uh, very difficult task for Munster but again it's an exciting one if you're a player and you go right if you can build on that bonus territory thing say right people don't expect us to win here we do have a bit of a less pressurised situation build up a load of pressure that there's an expectation and there's a standard that you're trying to set as a group to say that we have to make sure we're on it here but look the worst thing that can happen Munster here is and I don't think it will happen is what happened last May, June. Remember the the the, the season went on later last year, where it was a, a strong Munster team available to them and a very weakened Leinster team, and they lost thirty five twenty five in that game. Yeah, that was a real kind of well, low point for them. So um, Leinster could go full tilt here. I don't think team wise they will, but yeah, they'll, be, they'll like still be very strong and they'll probably have the bench loaded because Leo and, and just in case the they'll see like, there's yeah. a little bit of um, momentum here with Munster as on well on that it's a shame that like the injuries you can't account for because they can crop up at any no. point of the season and it's just disappointing that there isn't like you'd love to have seen the two of them going full bore at it with nothing other than let's say in the immediate uh uh, future the uh, URC final like the scheduling and I think it comes up year in year out but could they not just pull it two weeks forward to leave let's say URC Possibly, final Possibly yeah it's hard it's just Champions very hard Cup to final. find them yeah. just, just to give themselves when the they're back to back like when you because like it's, it's it feels a bit like after the Lord Mayor show now tomorrow whereas it should be the biggest event in town but like we're talking about Leinster holding back some of their players Even from a crowd, po- crowd point of view I think it'll, it'll have an effect Leinster have been you know, so many big games over a number of weeks. Um, it's maybe there's, you know, I think there'll be a decent crowd there. But yeah. like this fixture, as you say, a league semi final, the place should Just probably be full tomorrow. Should be. It should but be. There's so many games on. It's very difficult yeah. one, Adrian. You, they, they, I, I they, just, they, they have to make a cold decision at some point. We're going to pull it back. We're Played in it April back. and played well, you know, keep them a couple of weeks. weeks yeah, it's hard because you've semi-finals and of both competitions and stuff going on. It's I it's really could, difficult. I think if they put their minds to it, it's not the hardest nut. It's, to it's crack. a difficult one, but um, it's Munster have won two and twelve. Like, bad record bad at the Aviva as one well. One of them is the, uh, the Rainbow Cup. So you go back to 2018-19, the last time they beat them in the league. So and a bad uh, record at the Aviva, not only against Leinster, they just yeah, don't have a good time there. Yeah, they don't. So. Um, yeah, maybe they'll. So it's all set for a monster win, is kind of what we're saying here. This is this is the day they draw the line. Ah, yeah, monsters to lose, yeah. Yeah, monster. It's yeah, good, it's yeah. Good opp- I agree with yeah. you. It's a good opportunity for for Simon Zebel. I mean, when you see Nash out of the team, Earl's out for the season. Obviously, he's not available, Shane. I don't think he is available. Another I think one. He's still injured. You know, there's, there's talk that he might be available. Well, there's talk that well, monster are very depleted in that area, yeah, aside yeah. from the f- six injuries last week. Conway as well. Conway isn't there. Liam yeah. Coombs is out as well, and. Keith Earls, mm. you know, maybe a, a possibility. I don't know, but like they have a lot of injuries, and the depth that Leinster have is a couple of years ahead of yeah. every other team, and it'll probably stay as strong. It'll be. It's just hard to kind of chase that level of quality and depth, and they deserve massive credit. You know what I mean for for that. But um, if you're Leo Cullen, how strong a team are you putting out considering the game next weekend? I think he'll be cautious of of that bit of momentum Munster have had in the last few weeks they'll be pretty battle hardened determined 
Um, so I think he'll, of course, he'll respect the fixture and, and not want to repeat what happened last year with the Bulls. Um, they'll want to win both competitions. Mm. I think they're that good to do that. Um, they have the quality in players and the depth in players to do that. So um, I still, I think they'll probably mix mix it up a little bit, and, and there'll definitely be a bit of, of a, a safety net on the bench yeah. as regards the power and quality if they need it. I'm not going to ask a prediction because I think that the natural conclusion to the conversation is leading one direction. It's not to say that will happen, but that's I think it, any prediction. Unless Munster bring a nine out of ten performance and Leinster are off it a little yeah. bit, but that's probably the same. We're kind of saying, look, people are looking at the La Rochelle Leinster game the week after, given. What we've seen from Leinster this season, that isn't giving, talking rubbish and talking them up for the sake of it. Logic says Leinster will win. That's the, yeah. yeah. The, in the other game, um, Logic probably says the Stormers are going to win and uh, Connacht obviously have managed to beat a couple of South African teams this season, both of them um, at home, but the Ulster game will give them a lot of confidence. They are this absolutely the sort of team, and listen to them during the week, who will go out there with absolutely believing that they can win that game. Yeah, and again, it's, it's kind of the mentality of going, well, we... Ex- People expect us to... They're definitely um, in a situation from where they were six, eight weeks ago. The run was brilliant. Yeah. And to get into Europe and to be in the knockout stage and be in the semi-final now, and I mean that very respectfully, like they beat Munster up in, at the start of the season and were brilliant mm. against them. Munster beat them down Tolman Park. Both of them have had their struggles, particularly at the start of the season. Like Connacht's was a dreadful start when you think of, and it was down to that 4G pitch that they ended up scheduling, so basically scheduling games away to start. They were away to Ulster and then they had to go to South Africa. So first three games, no no wins. Um, it was a very difficult start for them. So um, they've been brilliant, and you know they were brilliant and, and, and very deserving yeah. winners last week against Ulster. Yeah. And I think they're the t- kind of side that in a sense they, they play a little bit and use that bonus territory stuff and they've done it before where uh, a little bit of a chip in the shoulder um, which is, is is needed and if you use it in the right way and uh, but they had a f- brilliant determination last week they were superb up in Belfast they, they, they were up for the fight and that you have to be up for the fight and I think they have a real chance here There's, they could really cause problems for the Stormers they've got to deliver up front as a pack of forwards and the, and the forwards that come off the bench because they are very powerful scrum, line out, maul all that kind of stuff but and I'm sure they look at Munster a few weeks ago if you hold on to the ball for a period of time you can you can you can ask questions, so they've got to be accurate. And again, they need that kind of eight or nine out of ten, most definitely, to to get a result there. But um, they need their big players to step up, and leadership is a really important part of it. And again, it's it's there's similarities as regards, you know, if players kind of are jovial about it and relaxed. Yes, um, that can help, but they've got to have a little and bit of fire as well. Class and like Carty, Carty playing well in his day. Like yeah. you say, the leadership, the experience. There's like it's not a stretch the, in the way that we 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 assume the other game is a stretch. A lot of things have to go right for Munster. The, the, the concern when you play in the South Africans is the physicality yeah. and the size and the power and stuff like that. Um, but if they get a good set piece, um, Connacht, yeah. and they're very hard side to get the ball back off. And um, I think they they butchered a few chances against Ulster last were, week. So yeah. if they're a bit more accurate and take their chances. They have a real, real chance, but it's a similar kind of scenario in both games. That 
you know, the obvious favourites are the Stormers and Leinster, and, and, and unless the other two teams, Connacht and Munster, bring something special for a consistent level, which they're you couldn't doubt you wouldn't doubt them completely that they can't do something like that because both sides have a feel good factor a confidence about them um i think Munster were obviously connacht can pick the same 23 from last week that travel and added players which i actually kind of hit me during the week Jesus, if Munster could pick the same 23 you know and have that bit of a buzz and adrenaline whereas Undoubtedly, there's guys in the Munster dressing room going, Jesus, we're mm. missing Snyman and yeah. Connor Murray and Fekato and Nash. And Dermot Barron probably hasn't trained a lot. On Mahoney's probably hasn't trained a lot. You know, they're not sure who's playing in the wing. The coaches scrambling for players. There's a bit more mm. turmoil going on there. So they're in a good place going there, Connacht, and they have a real chance, you know. And um, again, ifs and buts about the power, but I think they're capable and, and they will feel very good about themselves. They're They're. You know they have a real chance here, and and possibly can cause them a lot of problems. There seemed to be a lot of talk in South Africa during the week about the pitch again. Like th- this it's, discussion, it's, it's, it's falling apart. Apparently, it's the storms. I think they, have, they had a monster surface, truck yeah. rally on it and stuff. There, like, is a, there is a new surface going down there. John de Villiers told me that a couple of weeks ago, and we were there for the monster game. So, um, such a beautiful stadium, built for the World Cup. Yeah. Um, it's it's a fantastic venue. A great place. It's 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 very intimate mm. and um, a lovely stadium. Could be a mud bath. I think it was given a yeah, rain today. Yeah, these days, yeah. and ahead that's, of the game. That's. I don't know, I'm not sure if that, that won't suit Connacht. They'd want yeah, a fast yeah. track. They'd love a fast track to play with, you know, speed and stuff like that. But um, Stormers are very good side. A very good attacking side as well. So um, it's a real interesting one. But you know, it's. It's a wonderful opportunity for for both underdogs this weekend yeah. to mm. to kind of well, everyone, create everyone a bit of grit and determination uh, behind Connacht in the first game anyway. It'll yeah, be, uh, definitely, yeah. definitely, and um, they've done brilliantly. And you know what? I think Andy Friend has done a wonderful job in Connacht. Yeah. Um, I know always the results haven't been where they wanted to, and you know, not been in Europe last year. But um, the way they play and. Um, the buzz and the adrenaline um, that comes out of the sports ground when they mm. play there and uh, you know he's done a great job and he'll be a loss because he was a gentleman and a great fella to talk to and meet um, and I think he's done a brilliant job with with you know with Connacht uh, Mossy Lawler's going to Munster as well so like all teams you know, there, yeah. end up breakups mm-hmm. uh, players moving on coaches moving on but um, I think Andy Friend has been brilliant for Connacht um, the uh, URC Elite 15 as they've called it is, uh, has been named this week as well I always feel a bit queasy about these things coming out when they're such crucial games <laughs> it's like the anti maybe it's the GAME like the surely the team that gets to the final and let's see just like three of the three of the most important games have yet to come mm. but here's our team that's ridiculous anyway yeah. uh, and it's also like one of the very few uh, teams Quinny that you don't you're not on the selection committee first so you're uh, not happy no, with no. how it's been selected Nobody it's like the only teams that should have known that were going to fail before. Uh, the Irish interest in it just in case people haven't seen it uh, Dan Sheen and Finlay Bealham are chosen in the front row you've Niall Murray in the second row you've Gavin Coombs uh, in, and Scott Penny in the back row and then across the back you've Ross Byrne and that is where it ends um, from the Irish interest. And there's one player particularly, Quinny, that you're not happy has been left out of it. Um, who's that now? John Klein. Um, I think he's been brilliant this year. Um, I think, in fairness, when you look at the team, and I went through this team last night, if you go through all the players, you think, 
Geez, how many games did that guy play? I can't yeah. remember him that much, you know. And and it's hard to go through every 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 player. Um, Darcy Graham, I was thinking for Edinburgh. Jeez, he got injured mm. in that Munster game in December, and you know he came back towards the end of the season. But then, in fairness, he played nine games and he scored twelve tries. Mm. That's a serious return for, and he's such a brilliant player. Um, Sione Tupelota from Glasgow, nine games plus the quarter final, so ten. Mm. Um, some players h- high level. Niall Murray in the second row for for Connacht. 15 games plus the quarterfinal. So he was there ever-present and, and I think he's had a brilliant season. Federico, Federico Rutza, uh, the Benetton second row, played nine games. I just think John Klein should be in there. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm pro John Klein. I don't, um, I don't mind saying this. I think he's been, even at the start of the season when Munster were struggling, he was constantly... Uh, making carries, making tackles, work right through the roof. He's played 17 games this year in, in the league, um, ever-present, never injured, constantly at it. And um, I think he's very unlucky. And I probably, you know, obviously from doing the the, the, the Red 78, the Munster podcast, yeah. I, I we picked a star of the week of, you know, part of the analysing the Munster group with, with Neve and myself, and we've picked him loads of times mm. because... He's just been Clown. there all the time. Yeah. So you're talking about consistency. Um, I probably get criticised now, saying it's monster bias, but I just I, I feel I feel for him because I lo- I love the fact that it's just he's so, the work rate is through the roof constantly. Mm. I know the skills are sometimes questioned. I think they've got better, but other than that, it's a very strong team and, and going through it all. Um, Finley Bealham is in there tight. He's played eleven games and a quarter final, so twelve. Um, some Scott Penny at seven, you know, deserves to be in there. Brilliant, yeah. Um, Grant Williams, a scrum half. I think people, not a lot of people, would have seen a, a huge amount of him up to this year. But he scored a try against Leinster last week. Mm-hmm. He's been brilliant in the league as well. So um, again, it's a team that uh, you know, it's people can debate and talk about, but. Um, it's hard to debate it when you look at the number of games and some of the the, the returns these players have had. Are you um, what sort of? You must be doing some gig. There's a gig somewhere for you tomorrow in the uh, in the stadium, isn't there? There's no gig. Is there no gig? No, no. Are you going to it? Um, you have all the stuff on. You no, I it? haven't. I might. I might watch on TV. Yeah. I'm not working for it tomorrow, yeah. so um, busman's holiday. I sit back and, and relax, and uh, hopefully. Uh, you might be travelling to South Africa next week if Munster ah. to win play the <laughs> storm or, or else it'd be uh, Munster Connacht maybe Monster sorry yeah. Jesus, why would yeah. I be going to exactly. it'd be Monster, Monster Connacht, Connacht. Yeah. and Tolman Park next week I'm looking forward to a big time I must say it's having the two kids booked in so we're uh, you go to Limerick uh, next week to see Munster Connacht uh, we'll in the see, final we'll see how the weekend unfolds <laughs> that politically it's all about stepping around politically this morning thanks a million enjoy the games over the weekend thanks, thanks, Billy, thanks for that and uh, loads of comments coming in so please do uh, keep them coming in and we'll come to some of those um, even some of the more outrageous ones maybe a little bit later we went a bit rounder out there it's rugby country is it as Donald <laughs> Cusack said a lot of rugby covered this morning <laughs> and more to come more yeah, to come more to come uh, we'll be joined a little bit later on by two of Ireland's four uh, officials for the Rugby World Cup 2023 confirmed yesterday Joy Neville the first ever woman to be appointed to a men's Rugby World Cup and Andrew Brace as well both be with us in a little bit we're going to talk to Jason McAteer later in the show coming up in about 40 minutes time where he's going to pick his you had to be there list. It's bloody impressive.
Uh, some of them he was involved in himself and uh, the list is pretty star-studded so that's coming your way at about 9 uh, and uh, we'll have uh, the latest sports news uh, coming up as well OTPM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition is available now up next we'll have Conleth Gilligan and Joe Kernan to preview the Ulster football final but before all of that Kathleen McNamee speaking to the 1973 Irish team uh, during the week it's the 50th anniversary of their first ever competitive game uh, that's tomorrow when they uh, took on Wales 50 years ago tomorrow and here's a short clip from Kathleen's chat. You can catch the full uh, range of interviews across our social channels and the podcast network. Um, some of the other girls were saying, like, you know, training sessions weren't massively regular at the time. Some of the squad hadn't even trained together before the Welsh game. What was it like being in that system? Because it must have, like, a sense of camaraderie must have come out of it. Oh, in it, did, some way. it did. Well, you see, we didn't take any notion because we didn't train anyway. I played uh, with a team that we put into the Cloud Festival, Happy Wanderers. And the next thing is somebody said, will you come up to Dublin for trials? And I said, are they joking? But anyway... Uh, no, there was no training whatsoever. Like uh, nutrition, we were looking to have some nutrition at home, don't mind, for the team. But we were a great bunch. We knitted together and we played for each other. And that's what made the team the way it was. And uh, just a very close-knit team. And we played for each other and that was... OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, coming up on 24 minutes past eight, delighted you could be with us on OTBN this morning. We're about to talk about the Ulster football final, but before we just wanted to acknowledge that there's a separate and significant issue that has cropped up in relation to the dairy manager, Rory Gallagher, this week. Very legally, personally sensitive area, of course, and not one that we're going to discuss now, nor would it be in any way appropriate for us to do that. Uh, we're going to continue to report on it, of course, uh, but for the purposes of this ne- next segment, we're previewing the Ulster football final. We will not be discussing or alluding to any aspect of it. Uh, we're going to look ahead to uh, Derry Matt. Delighted to say Joe Kernan and Conleth Gilligan are on the line. Morning, gents. <laughs> Good morning, yes. And thanks, Millie, for jumping on. A couple of Ulster teams, obviously, uh, in in the overall uh, broader context in the lead into the game, a couple of Ulster teams relegated from Division 1. There is, of course, one coming back up, but some of the heavyweights, Donegal, uh, Tyrone, um, you know, not not added in a way that Derry have become one of those sort of constants and could go on to win it overall, of course. Um, Ulster football, though, and I appreciate the antagonistic note that we're starting on here, doesn't feel as if it's in the place that it once was or that teams have that same fear of Ulster football that it once had, Joe. Well, every few years things change and the dominance of sort of our man thrown for uh, seven or eight years, things change and and new teams come in and this is where Derry now come in and they're the reigning champions and had a good league form and are now in their second Ulster final in a row. So, But we've been working hard now, like other counties, to try and get back to where we were. And while we haven't appeared in any finals, we we have a good squad of players and we're very hopeful this year that we, we can get silverware. Yeah. What do you think, Connell, like that point about like the style, the personality of Ulster football feels as if it's changed slightly. It's become a bit more free-flowing, free-scoring, but conversely, it feels as if like there's a lot of teams that are not as fearful of playing them anymore. Yeah, look, I, I don't know if it's subscribe to that. I think it has got a wee bit more attack, and I think 18, 19, 20 points a game has become the norm in, in Ulster. So I think if you look at other than Dublin and perhaps Kerry, I don't think anybody really would fancy Tyrone, Derry, Armagh, Monaghan, you know, away from home so I think probably that's maybe for me it's a bit wide off the mark but I take your wider point 
I agree with you, Connell. As a man, as a man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having it at all. Outnumbered here, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, to be fair, we've, we've three ultra men against one uh, Leinster man. No, I, think, I think if you look at league positions, although all right, Donegal's going down, Jerry's going up, but if you look at even the end of the league, how it finished, you know, Chavin were strong, the Mano were strong, Antrim finished their league relatively strong. So I think also football is probably in as good a place as it as it's been for a while. I'm curious, um, like Joe. This is Armagh's first Ulster final since since 2008, I think it is, when they beat uh, Fermanagh. Like, is there pressure massively so on Kieran McGinley? Because there's there's all this talk about the provincial championships and and the importance or lack thereof that they hold nowadays. But for McGinley, I mean, he really, really would would love to win this Ulster championship, and it probably needs to as well. Like in fairness, when he took over, Armagh was at a, a fairly low ebb, and he has worked hard. Uh, over this last seven or eight years, but he has a team there now that we've seen that in last year's National League and last year's Championship. They're unlucky to go out to Galway. Uh, but it's just getting that bit of luck. And that's one thing I have, I think I'm a, have this year. They're getting goals, which they were finding hard to get in other teams. And every team that ever wins anything needs a wee bit of luck. We've, we've got a few goals uh, that has turned game for us. But I'm just looking at our forward line here. We have six scoring forwards. We have three scoring halfbacks. And, you know, everybody on the field, a bit like Derry. Derry have players coming up, popping up and scoring from everywhere. But I would just like to see us a wee bit more attack-minded and get the ball up earlier. And I think we're in with a great chance tomorrow uh, uh, if we could do that. That's probably the nub of it in, from an Armagh point of view. Is it like in terms of the, the league, Joe, and there was a bit of criticism about them maybe not being as ambitious as they might have been. <laughs> Suddenly we kicked into championship and you had obviously against Antrim, against Cavan, 4-10 against Down suggests that they were certainly showing more ambition. Maybe you could, if you were to be overly critical, you could talk about the quality of opposition there. But is are you seeing a development on that side from Armagh even over the last three games? Yeah, and and from a supporter's point of view, you were disappointed why we didn't see some of that in the National League. We lost most, any matches we lost that put us down was one or two points. So it shows how close we were against the best teams in the country if we had to go that wee bit more. But now in the Championship, an Ulster is a minefield. So you have to beat the teams that you meet. They mightn't have been the best. I personally was very worried about the Cavan game. I thought in Breffney Park that we would have been really up against it. Uh, we got the goals early on and mm. put Cavan on the back foot and, and, and won convincingly. Well, I can't say that. Reno O'Neill took off a save that any goal would have been proud of. But, you know, we, we were certainly the best team in those three games. So we're here on merit. And the one thing you learn from every game, the more games you play and the more games you win, actually the better you get. Because the confidence grows in the squad itself. If there was any doubts after the National League, the team would be very confident and into this now. But to know this is their biggest test so far. And scores wins games but we have the men that can get the scores if we can get the ball up early there's not a full back lane in the country that is good under a high ball and we just don't get the ball up there quick enough it's no good hitting it in high when there's when the opposition have 12 or 14 men behind the ball you got to break get it up early and that's when you can cause the damage and that's what I'm hoping we'll do tomorrow leave a few men up two or three men in the forward lane because if you leave men in the forward lane the defenders won't leave you now, and last year's Ulster final, uh, Donegal and Derry, if Michael Murphy had to stay in the square and, and somebody else take Brendan Rodgers and run up and down the field with him, I think probably Donegal could have won that match. So there'd be a bit of cat and mouse. <laughs> bit of cat and mouse, surely, uh, Joe. Uh, from your, the Derry perspective, Conneth, like that, that spread of scorers that we discussed with Armagh is, is also pertinent to, to Derry as well. Like I was at the Derry-Monaghan semi-final, super impressed by... 
not just the, the shot selection, but also the accuracy was was unbelievable from Derry that afternoon. Shane McGuigan, uh, nine points, five of them from freeze. But you look at the, the the other scorers as well, the likes of Paul Cassidy, Ethan Doherty, Niall Toner, Connor Glass pops up with a couple of scores every game as well. So the spread of scores, I think they had ten different scorers overall, and that's that's something that Derry have really improved on. Yeah, they have, and that's become the norm. You know, it's not unusual now for some of the defenders to, to kick points in, in every game. And I think that is the one area where Derry have been so fluid. Like, if you look at the probable team that Derry's going to play on Sunday, the name of that starting team are defenders by nature. You know, if you take Gareth McKinless stuff wearing 11 but going back, if you take Brenton Rogers as an actual defender, you know, the possibility of Tim McFall maybe starting, it just shows how fluid the game has become. It's not really about forwards and defenders anymore. It's about players that can do the job in the positions that's needed at that time. And, and the way Derry have played and, and the fact that they've been able to tactically change from last year and get more offensive. Like very few teams have scored more and through the league nobody had conceded less. So the platform that Derry have there is very, very solid. And I think when you look back at some of the games, the one concern would be is that between the league final they conceded four goals, then they conceded two goals in the next game, they conceded two goals again Monaghan. So that would be the big concern. And the fact that when Connor Glass is off the big block week but even when he was on again, Monaghan, they were vulnerable down the middle. And, you know, that's probably what Derry had worked on because Armagh have strike runners. They'll players that can get ahead of the ball. And that would be the danger. And while they haven't scored a lot of goals through the league, the four goals they scored against Down probably would suggest they can mix it, they can play it high. Rain Reel's goal in a game that he was quite just showed the quality that he possesses. Connell, Joe mentions about like Armaz sort of um, uh, maybe lack of urgency to get the ball forward as quick as they can to get ahead of that defensive wave. Derry certainly are in that area as well in terms of that uh, ability to knock it around a little bit and show uh, no great urgency to get it forward, despite the fact that, as we've already said, both of them are very free scoring. In terms of the styles then of both teams, what's, what is your expectation for, like they both show similar traits in that regard, what's your expectation for Sunday in terms of the two styles? Well, I think with Derry, you know now what they're going to do. You can pick their team, and then the only thing will be, will they throw the dice with Kieran McFall from the start? That will be the only deviation from what has happened in the Mana and the Mana game. I suppose Armagh is a wee bit more unknown. Um, you know, does Barry McCambridge come back in after having a brilliant league? Andrew Murnham went off injured, Ben Creeley went off injured, you know, Stephen Campbell didn't start the last day. So there's probably more unknowns for, for Armagh in terms of selection and how they're going to play. Joe made a brilliant point, I think, and I think he's right. There's very few teams in the country that have as many top-end forwards as Armagh have. But adversely, if you look at it the last day, when Ray O'Neill came back, <coughs> Herbert was moving amongst the previous two games. When Ray O'Neill comes back, he assumes a free-taking role again, and Turbot completely goes out of the game and is eventually taken off in a year where he has been magnificent. So the issue will be for me is... Can Armagh play all those players? Because obviously the one forward they have would be more workmanlike would be Jamar Hall. Do they opt for Stephen Campbell, who would be more free scoring? Do they go for Jamar Hall, who's that defensive link player? You know, so I think Armagh know exactly what Derry are going to do. Derry probably aren't this year of who Armagh is going to select in those positions. What do they do, Joe, with that efficiency that the two lads were talking about? What do Armad do with that, like one fourteen from eighteen shots? I think in the last game, if you were putting a team out against them, is it that sort of niggly bit of play that you can get in and try and off balance a player or make them think twice about it? Or what? What are your thoughts about trying to upset that efficiency? <clears throat> well, I, I think uh, 
as far as Derry is concerned, the man-to-man marking is excellent. And they're able to turn defence into attack from the man-to-man marking. Hopefully, I'm, uh, and in a lot of games this year, that people seem to, or players seem to look after, oh, that's my man, I have to stay with him. The old saying is, and it's very relevant in today's game, the man that's on the ball is is where the danger is. And too many men stand watching their man as the danger man goes past them and breaks the lane, and all of a sudden, the whole team is under pressure. And that's one thing that I, I, I hope Armagh do. And, and if Monan had to do that, they might have been in the trouble that they were. But Derry are so good at changing, as Connett said, from defence to attack. They're all comfortable on the ball. They're all good at shooting. Last year in the Championship, Derry, every time they got inside the 21, they were shooting for goals. They were that confident. So we have to try and nullify them coming out with the ball. You know, from the kickouts in particular, I think that if we can stop the short kickouts, that's going to nullify the midfield. Derry probably have the best midfield in the pairing on the, in the country. And having Kieran McFall to come in there, if there is a problem, you know, that's even more cover. But I think stop the kickouts, win them or break even in the midfield battle and stop the runner on the ball is the three things that I'd be looking for Ahmad to do. If we get the ball, we're dangerous. But if we allow them to come at us, we're in big trouble. I know there's been a lot of talk, Joe, about um, people saying, you know, Armagh need to play their own game and not set up defensively, as you say, and, and go for broke, like the, especially in the second half against Down. When you talk there about th- that word nullify, nullifying the, the Derry attack and the way they move from 1 to 15 so quickly, like we've already spoken about the dark arts on the show this morning, and I would, of course, never accuse Armagh of engaging in, in dark arts at any point. But is that something that you can utilise against a team like Derry, who are so fast, bring the ball up the, ball up the pitch, that you can maybe slow the game down in, in cute, uh, cute ways, maybe? Well, if you try and win the ball up front from every kickout, like if you mark from the outside in, that means that the keeper cannot hit short balls out to the cornerbacks. And that means the ball can only go one way, and that's straight down the middle. And you have a chance chance of crowding it, winning a break ball. And then if you don't win it, you can do that wee dark art of pulling a jersey, stopping a man, and giving you a chance, a few seconds to get a man back. But I think the secret is is in today's game is try and win the ball up front from the kickouts. And you have to take a chance. You have to be brave. But if you let teams like Derry come at you in droves all the time, they're going to pick wee holes and they're going to get the scores. Uh, and, uh, even on that I remember watching I was watching the Monaghan match and, and I noticed at one point Monaghan scored a goal in the first half Connathan I think it was Carl O'Connell's finish and I saw one of the Monaghan players uh, maybe accidentally of course but as he was running away he kicked the, the goalkeeper's tee um, away from its usual position just to you know slow down the result and kick out but that's obviously a ploy that, that teams uh, utilise one of the things I yeah, want to ask I guess Monaghan was surprised he's at the tee stay I was going to sit down with him that's the usual that's fair you know your audience here of course um, the, one, of the, one of the quotes I, I was reading during the week uh, Connor from, from Chrissy McCaig he was talking about the no longer being Derry captain this season uh, I thought it was interesting and he actually was acknowledging and he said that he thinks it's good for the team overall making the team better creating new leaders in that dressing room and I think that that's an important thing as well isn't it that you not just the passing around the armband, but but I guess getting more more players to the point of being in those leadership roles, and it's only going to take the team on further. Yeah, I think so. And I think in a lot of places and a lot of teams, the, the captaincy is symbolic. You know, leaders in the team don't necessarily go up and lift the cup, and you've seen that particularly in years gone by, where sort of some of the Jerry subs who have been the captain from the previous county champions have lifted the cup and. The leaders in that dairy team, you know, you have, you have Glass, obviously, now assumed that, but he was leading anyway last year. 
know, Christy McGee's not going to gauge whether he's lifting the cup or, or has the armband or not. So I think that's more symbolic, but Derry really have, you know, if you look at, you know, Ethan Doherty is really developed in that player who every touch he has is always sort of really important. The amount of scores that come off him, you know, he's always the man that's drawn two or three players and creating overlap. So, like, I think Derry really have stepped up and, you know, even like last year, like, Orin Lynch was much maligned in terms of some of his performances. You know, obviously the Galway game where he got caught out and went out the field. But he has turned that around this year. You know, he's come back from pre-season and brilliant shape. He's now added a wee bit more to the game when he comes out the field. And, and for me, one of the big things this weekend, which was much talked about in business, is Ethan Rafferty's role, is Orin Lynch's role. Both of them play very similar. They've scored, I think Rafferty's won four so far, and Lynch is the five points. Interestingly, he scored one in each of the games from play. So it'll be the battles like that there that it'll be interesting to see who daring to say when Ethan Rafferty goes to pick him up because down done that and that sort of really nullified him. But it meant that they have to get up elsewhere. So it's all those things. Whenever Derry <coughs> overloaded one side and Lynch comes up over the other side, do they mark them? You know, and that's a real interesting one of how both teams cope with that. Mm. Uh, just a brief, uh, brief final one for myself. On uh, I was reading a piece last week uh, on Casement Park and um, the redevelopment, and the argument was made that that Casement Park should be utilised as the venue for Ulster Senior Football Finals going forward. Of course, I'm going to come all, come with the uh, the Monaghan angle here and say tradition should trump all that. And uh, I know I've, I've probably seen both of you walking up that hill in Clonus on a sunny Ulster final day, and, and just the the history behind the place. Uh, Joe, where do you where do you stand on that? Uh, Scenario because I'm, I'm sure it's a difficult one for for Ulster GA. Most people want a lot of people want to keep it in Clonus, and then there's the argument that if they're putting so much money into the redevelopment of Casement, it should be moved there. What's your what are your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, just like you, I had many happy memories and a few disappointing ones in Clonus. <laughs> uh, Clonus is one of those venues that is <coughs> unbelievable atmosphere. You're down in a Calderham. It, it, uh, it's like one of those places in Rome uh, where the gladiators win the fight on a hot summer's day. It's unbelievable. But we do need a new stadium. Uh, and and I, whether it's Belfast or somewhere else, uh, Antrim Football certainly need a stadium. Uh, the one thing about Belfast, you're not going to be able to stay the way you stay in Clonus and you stop on the villages on the way home. So everybody gets a turn and there's an atmosphere whether you win, lose or draw. You know, it, it's great walking down the street with people and hopping in the cars and then going to a different village or stopping in Blaney on my way home. So you'll miss all that. And 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 Clonus has been great. And and they have developed Clonus. The pitch is great. Uh, the seat now, the, the whole thing is, has improved. But we do need another stadium. And I suppose Belfast is the best place. But one thing we'll certainly have is happy memories of, of Clonus over the years. Uh, Joe, a word on your old uh, your old uh, captain, obviously in Kirmagini, eight years in, and like it's a long time between drinks. Is there a, still a sense of positivity around him and his team, and and generally about the progress of the team? Wait a second, all, all managers go through. If you lose one or two matches, you know the, the the natives are out and they're looking to get rid of you. There's nobody can say that there hasn't been a lot of hard work done with this team, you know, and and he and he can be one of the teams that over the next two or three years. They would have a chance, a chance of winning in All Ireland. But everybody is judged on success. We're here now. This is the day that we have to produce it. We have the men to do it. I just hope that the handcuff comes off and 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 we utilise and we see these players perform at the level they can. I think it's the same in every county. Players are a wee bit afraid to just go for it at times in case they lose the ball and somebody gets a score and and it goes against them. 
But I, I, I think what we've seen the, over this last three games, there is a growing uh, confidence in the team. Uh, and uh, with a second, I, I don't think there'll be much in it. I think that a, a kick of a ball w- uh, will be the difference here. It's who's forward settled down the best, who makes the least mistakes, and, and, and I just hope we go for it. We have the men to win this match. So uh, for Cairn's sake, certainly I hope uh, that we win this one. It, it'll be great for all the work. Nobody can say that Cairn hasn't worked hard at this. It, it's his heart and soul. You know you know by listening to him or talking to him, and every one of these players are behind him. So hopefully we do enough on the day. And, and a wee bit of luck on the day can it can make a difference. In a word, are you both predicting your native counties? Oh, yes. <clears throat> but it will be close. Point or two at the most. I'm out to win. Conleth? Yeah, I think Joe's right. I think uh, it will be very, very close. It, it could take extra time and, and beyond like last year. But I just feel that Derry's system of play, how they've evolved, the pressure's not on them in the same way. They've won that Ulster last year. Now they're looking to go a wee bit beyond that. And I think they haven't improved, I agree. They're probably not at the Kerry goal level, you know, just Dublin level just yet in terms of championship. But I think they'll go on that direction. I think probably Armagh have the players to pull off a, a big game and to win it. But I just think Derry systematically will do what it takes to win and they'll get over the line, but it'll be by the minimum. Thanks a million for jumping on. You've got to remember, boys, this is Ulster. Anything can happen. <laughs> Nothing. And never, never truer than this particular final. <laughs> Joe, Connor, yeah. thanks a million. Cheers, right, boys. Thanks, Good luck. Cheers, lads. Um, interesting stuff. I love it. They're both predicting their own county by the bare minimum, basically. It's um, slightly antagonistic notes start off them, but it does feel as if, from a non-Ulster person, mm. it feels as if like we have a final to look forward to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. It can often not feel that way. Well, I mean, it can be a bit of a you know. I said Ulster finals can be can be. Oh, well, yeah. Last year was good. Like it was good in terms of it went extra time. It was yeah. close. Now Donegal probably at the end should have gone for broken. Mm. Probably could have beaten Derry on that day, but didn't probably go for it. Um, I think I, I like the way Ulster football has gone. So because for years there it was Tyrone Monaghan and Donegal that were winning Ulsters, mm. um, and now it's completely flipped. And, and Armagh and Derry are the probably the two best teams. Great in the to see Armagh back. It must oh, said like uh, but I think as I think Colin's point is is important. Cavan have come good. Uh, they won that COVID Ulster, of course. Uh, well, like they've pushed on the, the Tatton Cup final know. last year. I don't know against your own county. Yeah, I don't know that they've come. Like speaking to Cavan people, I, a lot of Cavan people do not feel as if they've come good. No. Well, like, what's the evidence for that? Solid league campaigns. Absolutely did well getting getting out of Division Three. You know my own frustrations about that. So yeah. they did they did what was needed and they got out of it. Um, they should have got out of it. Mm. And they did get out of it. And then when it came to Ulster, they just fell, fell flat in the yeah, back. Yeah, to be honest, I thought they'd, they'd do more against Armagh. Yeah. Uh, like the game was up after, whatever, 20 minutes. Yeah, it was. that was disappointing, I think, from a Cavan perspective. No, but then uh, good teams are allowed a bad, a bad day at the office. That, that, my point is, I'm not sure about the depth. In Ulster? Yeah. Well, Down as well have, have been playing really good football. Oof. Like, I know Armagh... Be- I think if you're holding Down up as a... No, but like, you look at other provinces, they do not have the strength in depth of counties as Ulster do. Even Antrim had a good league campaign as well, decent in terms of some of the results they got. I'd have uh, to have a look for at the well. power rankings to see what, yeah. what's the makeup of the top 10. What are the averages? But like, I mean, if you go by the leagues. But like only one team can the win. The leagues doesn't play out your point. Well, next year, who's going to be in the, in the top tier? Of the eight teams in Division 1, you're going to have Tyrone, Derry, Monaghan, and yeah. the other Ulster teams. In Division 1? Yeah, no. like. But it's still. Like Donegal and Armagh gone, obviously. Donegal and Armagh gone. There's always a solid Ulster. Representation. Yeah. Um, now the leagues obviously aren't to be all and end all, but I think they, they need an Ulster team to go on and push on and win the All Ireland. Like Derry could be that team this year. 
Derry could well be that. Derry could well be that team. Um, now, few comments coming into us here. Um, P well seventy four says Monster have turned the corner so many times this season. They're now going around in circles. <laughs> um, all of these things are true until they're not true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, as in, you know, the same point about that, that Quinny was making mechanics when he was in earlier on, that like, you know, they're in bonus territory and all this sort of stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, they go ahead and win that game. Suddenly you're, and that's really why I, you know, I know it's the team of the year is a sort of a flippant, like who really cares type mm. thing. But like, how the hell are you picking a team of the year that's before the is. most important three games are played? It is ridiculous. It just makes no sense. You have to weight it towards the teams that have done well, not because you're, being you're cherry picking anything, but because like that they will contain the best players. Well, this is like picking the All Star team before the All Ireland semi-finals, like essentially. Do you know why I think they do it? I think they do it because the likes of Leinster will field a first fifteen in the final game in a way that they won't have done for most of the season. So, so they don't, actually don't want to be putting like if he was fit, Johnny Sexton in the team or they, they should want just to be, be brave and put the players that have played a lot of games across yeah, the URC they should, say, they should say like okay you have to have played 10 games in yeah. the URC to qualify to make this but a lot of these decision making I mean I, like Shane Walsh was the man of the match in the All-Ireland final last year but it was given to Clifford because he was on the winning team Clifford was brilliant as well but you know it's kind of uh, look at I, I was, there was a conversation for sure <laughs> yeah, there was there a conversation for sure one of the best performances I've ever seen in Croke Park Shane Walsh's but listen Decision making I mean, in Clifford these teams was off of the, the charts as well. Of course, he was. Um, schedule for the URC and Champions Cup is BS. Just totally undermining the game this weekend, says Michael White. Um, will Leinster have to be protected from the other teams as the only ones who don't cheat? Says Danny Mack with his tongue in his cheek. <laughs> I'm assuming. Um, James Gill says uh, James Tracy is very good, and to be fair, Quinny is very good as always. Fair to Leinster, which must be hard for him. Uh, Ulster are strong but Kerry have stepped it up over the last three years says uh, Michael uh, and he goes on to say that Joe's right there great ploy to break defensive structures and cause a bit of chaos mm. there is a bit of cute cute stuff in, in Ulster football for sure in, 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 in all, every province I'd imagine but I, I definitely noticed a few things in that Derry Monaghan match where I was like oh yeah this is this is Ulster yeah Do you know there could um, there could be a bit of chaos this weekend in the way that both teams um, play the game um Connor Joyce, that should have been a yellow card. Ulster teams tripping over each other to do everything bar play football. Uh, there was one game hey, in Ulster this year. Did you see the Tyrone Monaghan match? Tyrone, there was one game in Ulster this year. Yeah. Tyrone and Monaghan. Every other game was over well before the finish. Yeah, that, That's been the disappointing thing of the Ulster Championship this year. I'd like, I'd love to see the final on Sunday and I think it will be remarkably close. Are you going up to it? Uh, no, this is the thing. The ticket situation. No one can get tickets. They weren't put in general sale. Through the um, clubs only. Through the clubs only. That What's was the, the capacity? Jeez, uh, it's thirty-five odd thousand. I think. And they sold all them through. The it, clubs? Might, it might be less, but it's um, they sold them all through the clubs, which is, which is remarkable when you think about it. So it was heading for a sellout. So a safe capacity of Clonus is now capped at twenty-eight thousand seven hundred and fifty. Right. That's so the, small. The, yeah, the option to buy online was unavailable according to the website, but uh, dozens of clubs in both counties probably comfortably getting and rid of. And many your connections? I know. You'd wonder if anyone out there has a spare ticket or well, two. You know, give me a shout. See, I, but then I feel bad. I'm not from. I would Ulster out of the the URC and everything. You're just you're at a loss now. Like. This is it. But you know, you feel like you're robbing a ticket from someone if you're if you're not from Armagh or Derry. I was born in Armagh. Right. I was born in Armagh, Adrian. You I are honestly that. with every week that goes by, you and Charlie Hawhey start to sort of merge together into yeah. the one sort of being. Possibly, uh, there's yeah. not a county in Ireland that you haven't got some association. Ah, uh, no. Dad's from Galway, mum's from Monaghan, granny's from Tyrone, and I was born, born in Armagh. Armagh, but like shipped home three days later. Shipped home, yeah, yeah. Didn't spend too much time there. No, do you know, not that Daisy Hill Hospital had me but for. Don't a couple be of worried days. about taking a ticket off someone. That's like, yeah, fair enough. There. If anyone has a ticket, give me a shout. 
Uh, 10 to 9, you are watching OTB AM and we still have you had to be there to come with uh, Jason McAteer. Uh, that's coming a little bit later on and he's got an unbelievable list, so we'll come to that in a bit. OTB AM, which let Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition is available now. Delighted to say that uh, four Irish officials have been named in the 26 uh, panel for of officials for Rugby World Cup 2023 and we're joined on the line by two of them this morning. Join Neville, Andrew Brace. Good morning and congrats. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning. Congrats to you both. That's um, a, an amazing achievement. Is it something that you know is coming in the post, Joy, or is it landed on you? Ah, no, geez, nothing's for certain. I mean, you, you take nothing for granted um, amongst a lot of, of great competitors. And um, we obviously found out last week and we had to keep it on the, on the, on the low. And um, I think it was a bit surreal. It's probably still is a bit surreal. It's become a little bit more real now since it's been announced. It's exciting, it's daunting, um, but yeah, it's a challenge I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to. How did you find out? Uh, we, we each got a call from the referee manager, Joel Jush, um, who paused momentarily before he said, you're in or out. Uh, at that point, I said, Joel, I could kill you there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because my, my dad passed away about three, three months ago and uh, he was always the port of call, you know, and anything rugby related. And immediately I said, it's just some, I must ring dad. So it was, a, it was quite an emotional moment really yeah. for me. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know. And I was actually, the next question I was going to ask you about the first um, call that you made. It's always those little sort of life events where you forget about it momentarily and then suddenly you're like, that would have been the call. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, my brother Ronnie was was next up, um, definitely next up in line in the in the rugby front from a, a conversation between myself and and Ronnie and Dad always. Um, so um, yeah, no, he 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 stood up um, to the mark. So. Stood up to the plate. Good. Um, I'm sure he's uh, smiling down with with the achievement that's in it, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail. And on Andrew, for your uh, for yourself, uh, second rugby world cup, no more than joy. Was this um, something you knew was coming down the track, or you are waiting for that call? Um, look for for me, Shane. I similar to Joy, like hugely excited um, to be selected. Obviously, in 2019, I was I was only there as an assistant referee, which is a bit bittersweet. It's like being on the bench, I guess, as a player. Um, so you want to be there in the middle. And and for me, that was always the goal. Uh, Ten years ago, when I started out with the IRFU, um, like the goal was always to, to get to 2023 as a referee and. Uh, 2019 was was a, an amazing experience to to see that and learn from from other experienced referees um, and yeah now going into into France is is to be there in the middle is uh, hugely exciting one that I'm thoroughly honoured uh, and immensely proud of um, to represent the RFU on on that bigger stage and and to have that with such a strong representation from Ireland as you said with Joey, Chris and Brian that um, is, is fantastic so yeah it's brilliant for, for the four of us There's a little bit of pressure Andrew those those World Cup games as opposed to the other games you referee I'm sure from a referee's perspective if you're not being talked about after the match that's when you know you've had a good game so uh, the hope is that during the World Cup your name won't come up at all I guess yeah, very much so. I think uh, we'd all agree that and it's not getting any easier. Um, that's for sure. And look, going into into the biggest uh, tournament in the in the world, um, you, you need to perform. That obviously the expectation is more than it's ever been. And and uh, and and for us, obviously those big games. We've done a, a lot of big games recently, from Six Nations into into European knockout games, into back into URC. So we're at the business end of the season now domestically. Um, so for us then obviously to build into those uh, TRC World, World Cup warm-up games in the summer 
um, will hopefully put a put a good uh, uh, marker there leading into into the World Cup around uh, consistency for us. Like obviously myself and Joy and Chris and Brian are, are very used to working together as a team, and uh, yeah, that would be important to get that consistency going into into the Rugby World Cup. You won't know your games, I think, for a while yet, but will you get to stick together as a group? Is that the way it works? Or you just go into a pot and they sort of disperse everybody out as they see fit? Yeah, well, we know our warm-up games um, and the rugby championship. So myself and Joy and Brian and Chris, as I, as I, as I mentioned, uh, we're working together going into um, South Africa, Argentina, and then uh, and then go over to Argentina, work with Nika then to run touch. And then the warm-up games in August, so I think Joy is... Is going to be working as well in the in the Junior World Cup, um, and and then the warm up games then through the summer as well. So I, we don't know the, the the fixtures for Rugby World Cup, but they'll be announced in June when we get together in a camp in Toulouse end of June. Um, so yeah, you'd 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 hope that obviously that team will will work together leading into the World Cup, and to, as I as I mentioned there to, for that consistency that everybody wants. So that's important. Yeah, uh, Joy. It's not your first World Cup. You've refereed a World Cup final, so you're um, you're a veteran at that aspect of it. But the first woman to officiate at a men's uh, rugby World Cup, which is another incredible achievement, another hurdle down. Yeah, look, Adrian. I suppose um, I don't I don't particularly look at it that way. Like I'm, I'm delighted to to have been selected, but I'm I've always ever just. I suppose I've always asked to be treated equally with my male counterparts. I'm there to compete with the rest. Um, like I drop personally, drop a lot of tags and labels. And I think if you're if you're good enough, um, all I wanted to do was get there and merge through performances. And um, and you know, I suppose this opportunity kind of landed in my lap. I um, I had my baby boy two years ago, and. As a result of being pregnant, I couldn't be, you know, active on field. So an opportunity to go into TMOing, and then it was quite evident that there was an, another opportunity then to get to the men's World Cup as a TMO. And you know, I, you know, I took, I, I took, a, you know, I saw it as a massive chance to, to get to a, a men's World Cup, and, and thankfully put the head down and worked hard, and um, thankfully got there. And do you know what the sweet spot is? I suppose for me, especially, is the fact that I was always competing with Brian McNeese. You know, the, the, I suppose the dialogue would have been that one or the other would go. Mm. Um, and now that we're up, we've chosen to bring in this new bunker system, which means they, they upped the, the TMOs, the number from five to seven. And I'm delighted to be sat here knowing that my friend and I would both now go um, to the World Cup to, to support each other and, um, and you know, uh, enjoy that experience together. That's class. What's the, what is the bunker system? Um, have you seen it in the, the the southern hemisphere at all? No. Are you aware? Um, so basically, it's it's something that they've trialled down south, whereby um, a referee sees foul play and will automatically, if they see it as a yellow card threshold, they give the yellow card, um, and the on the on field TMO then has eight minutes uh, to decide whether to upgrade that to a red card. Oh, or yeah. Um So in this case, for the men's World Cup. Um, there will be on field the, the on field team ref two ARs and the the match TMO, and then uh, in another venue there'll be a bunker where there'll be um, a bunker TMO and a another like another TMO or another assistant referee. So you know the, those those people are part of our group, and we we will decide then whether we upgrade that to a red or not. Uh, Joy, um, we were speaking there about how the game is not getting any easier and to referee and that position certainly is not getting any easier and Andrew touched on that there but 
from your perspective, how have you how have you noticed that in the last number of years? Social media clearly is is an element that that plays into it as well. There's ambiguity around a lot of the laws in rugby, which makes it you know difficult for referees in the first place. So how have you how have you found that progression in the last number of years in terms of I guess social media abuse and and the uh, the microscope being put onto referees' performances? Yeah, look, it's no secret that the game is a grey game. You know, it's completely down to the discretion of the referee, the interpretation of what they're seeing. And, and that's why it's such an entertaining game, but at the detriment of the of the officials uh, most of the time. As you said, Adrian, I think it was Adrian that said, um, you know, or no, Shane, you said, um, all, you, all you wish for is, is um, to come away with no attention on the referee whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely what we try to achieve. Um, you know, as... As social media, you know, in certain platforms, they can be such a benefit. However, sometimes they're the demon. Like um, my biggest gripe would be that the, the lack of accountability. Like you know, the game has become more professional. Um, there's an awful lot more pressure on us. And what I don't kind of agree with as an ex-player, and what I always saw was, as an ex-player, you knock on a board, you miss a tackle, and your, your pals would slap you in the back and go, "Come on, next one." And, and you'd, you'd have your post-match analysis, and there would be a room for error. But I think there is a completely unrealistic um, um, in, uh, view that the referees will get everything right. Mm-hmm. Like we're human, you know, they were going to make mistakes, and sometimes I think people need to be a little bit more lenient. But just back to the social media thing quickly. Um, for me, the sooner we make like the likes of Twitter accountable, so some you know you you look to to open up an account, you have to add a, um, a source of identification because. Whatever about Andy and I, and Andy has, you know, uh, many of these experiences also, like, um, we're, we're old and bold enough. We, we have had some sort of life experience. We're able to filter through the negatives and, and kind of, you know, highlight the positives for our own mental strength. But what I do worry about is young people and, and people with mental health issues, because it could just be one throwaway comment um, that, that the keyboard warrior and that could, you know, uh, push someone over the edge. And, and that's what I truly worry about. You have you have experienced a lot of this as well, Andrew. As Joy says that that England France Autumn Nations Cup final. I know you, you've spoken about this before, but the the uh, the death threats that you would have experienced and and just large scale abuse. I think you had a, maybe a pinned tweet about your about your dad who had passed away, and and people were were even targeting that and targeting other members of your family. So this is something you'd have experienced, unfortunately, as well. Yeah, very much so, uh, Shane. I think look. I, somebody once told me, like, if you put yourself out there, then you take the bad with the good. Um, as Joy has mentioned, alluded to, I think that um, that doesn't make it right. Um, however, I think that's probably the society that we're in now. People can um, make comments and, and jump on a, on a tweet or a comment um, about performance. And, and that's fine. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. And when it crosses that line then and becomes abuse, then I think that's... Uh, that's what we don't want, and we have to take a strong stand, uh, stance to that. Um, like, obviously, yes, I suffered there three years ago in the England-France game, but for me, the way I look at it, it's, it's been very cathartic in, in terms of that I can, I've moved on from that now and um, and not to have that that clutter in my mind just to be overthinking, oh, what are people thinking about my performance then? Um, and just actually focusing on the game itself has been, as I, as I mentioned, has been very cathartic for me to to move on and really focus going into 2023. And and to be honest, like I was probably overthinking everything around selection and my uh, versus my performance. And um, and for me, that was just having a negative impact then on on the actual game itself because I wasn't 
focusing on myself and controlling um, what I can control enough to be accurate when it matters. And um, and I think that's the temperament that we're all chasing, really. Yeah, like it's such a um, high-pressure moment. I think, like I think back to the Ireland-England game in the Six Nations and a key decision has to be made and there's a lot of deliberation over it. And there's a very clear directive from everybody involved in rugby about protecting players and particularly around concussion protocols. So that's the overall, overarching approach. But within that, then, things start to get a bit grey, which is why you have obviously referees and assistant referees and TMOs having those uh, long, deliberate conversations on the pitch. And as you say, Joy, maybe there's a new system going to come into place that might sort of remove some of that. But can I ask you both, just before we wrap your experiences or insights on that process of being on the pitch, there's like 30, 40, 80,000 people looking at you and you're aware of like millions of more people looking at home and listening to every single word you have to say that's we we uh in the stands and as media and as you know pundits tend to look at that in a real cold sort of like you know uh you get judged really harshly really quickly and not always the uh, bad social media stuff but just like genuine reaction to it can i ask both of your uh insights and uh, thoughts around that process Okay, I leave. I leave Andy elaborate in a minute. But before I do so, uh, Adrian, you, you spoke about the pressures of the, the 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 crowds in the stadium. But it's more the pressures of Johnny Lacey, our coach, on detail, detail, mm-hmm. detail. So when you really? talk about communication, <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind. So that's a shout out to Johnny. He's a stickler for. for that's probably why we're, we're we're sat where we are. To be honest, um, for me, I, it's just about and it's it's learning from experience. Sometimes you allow the externals filter into your mind and and you start focusing on other things instead of what's in front of you and I think as you gain experience you learn to completely block that out in order to be in the moment in the here and now to be able to concentrate solely on, on the decision that needs to be made but I leave I leave Andy um, elaborate more because he's he's you know he's in front of uh, massive numbers uh, a lot more than what I would be yeah, I just think from from my perspective, um, for us, we talk a lot about getting what matters, Shane. So, like myself and Joy and, and Brian, who are working with a lot in that in the box, is just so key and critical. You have that strong relationship between ref and TMO, and thankfully, myself and Joy and Brian have that, and we get on really well and close friends, and that and that really helps understanding each other, understand the relationship of what I want, what Joy or Brian wants, what I don't want. Um, because at the end of the day, when you get to a Rugby World Cup, it is about getting what matters and what everybody is talking about, because that's absolutely key. It doesn't matter whether I ref the scrums uh, well, but uh, but I fail to get that big decision right at the, at the end of the game, um, and miss a forward pass or a knock-on that leads to a try. So it's a great, great decision-making for me isn't always about chasing that best decision. Um, and yes, we know the expectation is more than it's ever been before, but for me, I, I like... Like from my perspective and my team, like I can't be accurate if I'm desperate. So, um, for like I'm like for me, I, I want to try and be as calm enough to be myself going into into this World Cup and control what I can control. Um, like we talked a lot going into European games of late of of really nailing those big decisions when they present themselves. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what that's what matters. That's what we're all talking about now in the game. Because um, as we know, it's full of grey. We can always find a different decision between breakdown and set piece. But um, and thankfully, we've been supported immensely by the RFU, putting those foundations in place since we've gone full time six years ago. 
um for for me to perform at my best then when i come to this um tournament in in september so um and like that comes from like quality snc nutritional support you know sports psych now with kevin McMenamin introduced all of that is going to be hugely important for us to perform and be successful when when we when we when the tournament kicks off in september yeah, well, listen, we wish you the very best. The uh, best thing I can say is, like Shane said earlier, we hope we don't hear anything about you during the World Cup. And we also hope you don't get the final. So that's uh, <laughs> that's where we hope that. But listen, congrats. It's a great, uh, great story. And we uh, wish you the best of luck. Joy and Andrew, thanks a million for jumping on. Thanks a million, Adrian. Thanks, Shane. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. That's uh, uh, great stuff and good to hear from... It's brilliant to hear from referees. I always feel like that no matter yeah. what sport we're... Um, think there isn't enough of it mm, we often you often think that referees are closed and they want to talk to media and stuff but as soon as you talk to them you're like they've absolutely no problem but talking it's, go- it's also good to help people like yeah. I will have a different view when I'm sat in the stand at the Aviva now tomorrow yeah. I'll be like okay hang on a second I might just well, keep could, that opinion to myself you'll see the, hu- the referee as, human, exactly. as a human being with a, with a personality there is, there is no bad that comes from that it's yeah more of it oh and the social media abuse that they have to put up with I, I just don't understand it yeah it's 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 insane and uh, I, that was one of the points as well when I was thinking about it beforehand it was like the the Razzy Erasmus when he put that hour long video up mm. about um, Nick Berry mm. during the after the lines thing I was like that's, this is changing Th- this is going a, a direction that, that not a lot of people saw it going in that you know imagine us in our jobs if someone posted an hour long video to social media assessing our a performance on the show this morning or whatever. It, it, it's a lot of pressure I'd for, the for YouTube referees. Comments. We had the usual. I suppose we get judged. It's, it's not maybe the best example, but it's changed refereeing for sure. It has. Uh, it's seven minutes past nine. Here's what's on the OTP Podcast Network for you today. Uh, League of Ireland Match Day will be available for you there. Anthony Nash and uh, Rugby Daily as well with all the very latest, as you can see, uh, Dave Carney there following his uh, departure from Leinster. There's no information as to what's happening after that, but all of that is available on the O2B Podcast Network. You can follow O2B across social. Subscribe to the O2B Podcast Network after the ads. It's Jason McIntyre. It's You Had to Be There. It's going to be absolutely epic. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Jason McIntyre, good morning to you. How are you? You okay? Welcome to the show. Thanks, I know you've been patient in the background there. Thanks a million. Uh, how are you getting on? Yeah, all good. All good. Just been a busy year um, with the World Cup. I'm obviously out in Qatar at the minute. I don't know if you know. I'm out in Qatar, so I've been there. I've been here for a while, to be honest. I just didn't go home. <laughs> um, so we've just been mad busy with everything here, like Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup. Um, Champions League and then we did the Europa League last night in fact we've done the conference we've done West Ham last night so yeah it's just it's all busy and obviously winding up now to, to the summer then we've got the Women's World Cup then we've got the Premier League starts again then the Asian Cup in January, February so it's just really busy here it's endless, yeah. It's probably not a bad way to be. Your list is unbelievable, so we've got about 20, 25 minutes and I want to get into it. It's an incredible list. It's possibly as good a list, I think, as we've... as we. It is. It's the best list we've had, let's just call it. Um, we're going to kick things off. Paul McGrath, 1994, Italy, World Cup. Talk to us a little bit about yourself, almost, maybe, if you will, just in the lead into it, the context of yourself. You're still at Bolton at that stage, if I'm right. Yeah, that's right. Um yeah, we, we changed manager at Bolton. Bruce Rayock had come in for Phil Neal, who who signed me. Um, I'd, I'd been there probably about oh, five months, and then obviously Bruce comes in, and then he, he changes it up. Um, you know, he, he throws a bit of the the youth into the into the team, and 
Um, myself, Alan Stubbs, uh, he brought in Alan Thompson and we, we, we kind of went on a really good few cup runs and stuff. So we kind of made our, a bit of a name for ourselves, but we, we quickly, um, yeah, we quickly started getting some attention. And from, for me, it was international attention. So I got asked to play for England, turned them down. And then obviously, you know, Jack then asked me to play for, for Ireland and the, the Ireland had already qualified for the World Cup. Um, so we, we had a couple of, warm-up games. There was one in Germany, I remember, in Hanover, and I think we won 2-0. Gary Kelly scored. And I think Jack had kind of made his mind up then that he was going to take myself, the Bab and Gary Kelly to, to the World Cup uh, in the June. So um, so obviously I was I was delighted, but I didn't expect at all you know, to feature in any of the games. I was still wet behind the ears. I was, I was still you know learning my trade, really, at Bolton. So to be thrust into international football, never mind the World Cup, was one thing. So I, I just took it all in my stride, to be honest. So I ended up on the plane, and before I know it, I'm landing in um, I'm landing in New York with the squad. You like even despite all that would have come within a whisker of starting that game, would you? Like Ray Houghton obviously was back from the dead. You replace him in the game. Things could have been very different. Yeah, I never, you know, I never went there with expectations of playing. It was kind of I always felt I was going to be back up, and, and I just wanted to enjoy the experience. I mean. It was a lot more relaxed back then. You know, we, we weren't getting monitored and we didn't have watches on or the body packs mm-hmm. that they were today. And, you know, diets <laughs> diets wasn't really a thing. So it was very much a feel-good factor. And, and the fact that, you know, I think a country when Ireland go, the expectations is, is kind of just to get out the group is, is success for us. So, you know, it, it was very much a, a relaxed camp. Um, I, th- I think there was obviously some nailed-on starters. You know, you look at Packy nailed on, um, and then Andy, uh, Steve Staunton, Dennis Irwin. Um, there was a, obviously one or two positions that were probably up for grabs because of injuries and stuff, but I never felt that I was always in contention to, to take over from Ray Houghton or I was going to push him for a place. But, you know, one thing I did, I did remember is I adapted really well to the heat. I mean, it was re- so hot out there. Um, in June in New York and in Florida, that I, I kind of I was really fit. I was a really fit player. I was box to box midfield. Jack Seamy obviously on the right. I played a few games, the warm up games on the right, but I was very very fit and I adapted really well to the weather. So I don't know, I don't know whether Jack seen something in training um, where he thought I'm going to use him at some point. But obviously that's that's how it happened. Um, come the first game against Italy, I was used for about. I don't know, about 25, 28 minutes or something. She's getting the chance to play at the Giant Stadium as well, Jason. Such a historic venue as well. It must have been pretty special. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's funny really, because when, when, when you're playing a game and you're picked, you have a routine and you're in your own world. I mean, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to play around the world in some of the, the best stadiums in, in all different countries. And to be honest, I couldn't tell you a great deal about the experience, I could tell you something that maybe that happened in the game or maybe I know, something stuck in my mind. But when you're playing, you're very much focused on yourself and the moment and the 90 minutes and what you want to do and how you want to do it, your preparation, your eating and stuff. When you're not picked to play and you don't think you're going to play any part, mm. not that you're kind of there on holiday, but you kind of absorb it a lot more. Like I remember you know, coming out the hotel, getting on the bus, the music that we used to play, you know, Mick, Mick Byrne, you know, big sing-song on the bus. Um, and then it went quite quiet as we went into the stadium. 
I remember the dressing room being massive. Like the, the thing about America at the time, everything was bigger. And so everything just felt massive to me. So I went, it was my birthday as well. So, you know, I, I was enjoying like people saying happy birthday and getting cards and, you know, speaking to people. My family were there. So I was very, very relaxed. Um, and then I remember going out on the pitch and looking up and it just went up and up and up. <laughs> and it was just like <laughs> filling up with people. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd come from Berry away, Bolton. I'm thinking, what is going on here? <laughs> same, this same. Like, yeah, it's mental. It's mental. And then, you know, the, you, you do the team talk. Jack, you know, done his team talk. The players were, were ready and prepared. It was so hot. And then we go out and play. And then I'm on the bench. And then I remember, I remember Jack, I was, I was telling Richie Keys yesterday, because um, the weather is it's so hot. I remember him, Jack, saying to me, go and warm up. And I remember thinking, it's 120 <laughs> degrees in the stadium. I, I couldn't get any hotter. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, Jack, throw me on, I'm ready. And what? then um, it was that moment, it kind of dawns on you. Um, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm going on here. I'm, I'm going on. And it's like Maldini, Baresi. I'm watching these fellas on Gazetta Football on Channel 4. Like, you know. Six weeks earlier, I'm watching Channel 4 on a Saturday morning with James Richardson. And these are all becoming my heroes, really. I mean, Maldini, Barese, Baggio, Signori, Donadoni, Costa Curta. I mean, the names just roll off your tongue. Really? It's like, they're there. Yeah. They're there. I remember I remember being in the tunnel with them, thinking, oh, my God, these are like film stars. These fellas, look at them. They're like, they were all tanned. <laughs> like, they were a bit of, because it was hot, they were like, a, a, they had a glow because they were sweating. Maldini had his long hair, Donadoni. It's like, Brazy looked like a Roman gladiator, all the scars on his face, and he's like hard looking. Baggio was like poster boy. And, and like, we were, we were basically like the dog and duck, to be honest. It was like, compared to the Italians, it, you know, there was no comparison. But for, so, all, but for all that, Jason, it was uh, the man in the Irish number five shirt that stole the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I remember, obviously, I watched you know, a good hour of the game. And the thing that stood out is is, is after the game and, and maybe a couple of years later, you don't appreciate probably the performance at the time. Well, you do, but you don't put it into great context. It's when you know Paul's background. You know, I knew it mm. and I knew there was problems and I knew, you know, he had his struggles. But being young and being in my own world, you don't take on board the enormity of, of the struggles for someone as an individual. Mm. And it's only when you, you you go later on in your career and you realise, you know, to go through that, but then perform and then perform at that level. It, it's just, you, you've got to just put it into context. And, you know, some of the things he was doing, and I remember Babsy obviously played alongside him because Kev, Kev had got injured, Kevin Moran got injured. So Babsy had got his, his chance. And I was really worried for Babsy, but it was quite evident that the two of them struck up a really good partnership. And Paul, and Paul looked after Phil as well. So it was not only his performance; it was the fact that Phil played so well off Paul looking after him and directing him and showing him basically where to be and, and just you know directing traffic. And you know after the game, um, it was one of the moments which wasn't captured. I mean the the um, the Pele Bobby Moore photograph. You know the famous photograph where they swap mm. shirts. Um, there was a moment Baresi and Paul come together 
And it was that moment. And I remember shaking hands with everyone and watching because it was very easy. And he comes up to Paul and they exchange words and they hug each other. And it was that Bobby Moore Pele moment for me. And I've got it in my head. I've always had it in my head, this image. And um, yeah, it was, you know, Berezi approached Paul. It wasn't the other way around. And it was just, I've watched it back a few times. And that performance from a centre half under them conditions and the, the stresses he was going through in his own, in his own life was just phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. A phenomenal player, and we we sometimes think, oh, we think about it through green tinted lenses. You had Gary Lineker on Twitter the other week saying uh, that he was I can't remember was it the best centre, one of the best centre. Marshall Halland, yeah, yeah, Marshall Halland, yeah, incredible. Right, we we're going to move on. We're moving to uh, forward a few years. We're moving to Lansdowne Road. Needless to say, everybody expected this to be on the list. It's Ireland Holland. It's uh, World Cup 2002 qualifier. Um, Holland are having a few struggles. They needed the win to stay alive. Uh, Ireland hadn't lost under Mick at Lansdowne Road uh, you want to talk about Roy Keane here we might touch on you a little bit as well but you want to talk about Roy yeah it kind of was to set it up it was kind of the perfect storm for us as a qualification I mean we you know we'd, get, we'd entered the, the qualifiers with Portugal and Holland in the group and we were never expected to get out to be honest um, you know two powerhouses um, but Mick had obviously it evolved the squad had evolved and there was obviously the younger players had come in but they were well settled when we started the campaign in 2000, you know, a lot of them had had the debuts. A lot of them were used to Mick. Um, things had changed from from the Jack era. You know, myself, Roy, Phil, um, although Phil was in and out under Mick, Gary, you know, we were becoming more and more the, the senior pros and taking over from the likes of Ray and Ronnie and um, Andy Townsend and stuff. Um, yeah, so, you know, the campaign started well, although we... See, this is where the seeds are set, you see. This is where it leads up to why he, you know, through that campaign was immense. But why that game, kind of, why I picked Roy, was obviously we went to Holland in the first game. Everyone, again, not expecting us to get anything. But then we we go 2-0 up. Um, and then we end up 2-2 being pegged back. And we're all congratulating each other and, and basically celebrating in the dressing room afterwards. And it, in, in its own right, it's a fantastic achievement. You know, I don't want to take anything away from that night because it was. But one person who didn't celebrate and was quick to tell us to stop was was Roy. And, you know, where he where we felt, you know, we've achieved something great, to him, it was two points dropped. It wasn't the fact it was Holland and it wasn't the fact that we went away and we got a draw. We, we dropped two points for being 2-0 up. And everyone kind of took a step back and it, it took the edge off the celebration, but it also planted the seed that we shouldn't fear anyone in this group. You know, we're, we're here on merit. You know, we're a very, very good team. We've got a chance. And our captain is telling us that. So, you know, we went through the campaign, a couple of draws against Portugal, I think. And, you know, we, we then, we win the easier games. We then sets up the game in, in Lansdowne Road. You know, Mick being very old school in his, in his management in the sense of they use everything that they need to motivate you, which obviously was Van Gaal's interviews and the, and the Dutch's arrogance was mentioned, you know, it was a matter of how many goals the Dutch were going to score that day. And, I mean, you looked down the team sheet <laughs> and it was one to like kind of, well, you know, how are we going to get anything out of this today? It was full of like stars. So, you know, the, the game, we prepped, we prepped most of the week um, and then we kick off. England played as well that day. So there was a lot of football. Everyone with the eye, the world was watching it's kind of a, a day out for everyone in the pubs wanting to go and watch like a double header 
mm. uh, England, Ireland, and you know, see Ireland get beat basically. And the day start, the game started, um, and then again, the tone was set. You know, Roy smashes over Mars. Do you and, talk and about everyone, that in advance, Jason? Like that was. You know, it was like the ball was there to be won, and he and he. It's maybe the most famous tackle in Irish sport of all time. But he he leaves something on him, obviously, and it kicks off a little bit afterwards, which I'd totally forgotten about. There's a little bit of a melee afterwards. Ian Hart tries to catch Zenden, maybe a little bit. Cliver levels Kilban, who comes off uh, laughing away. I texted about him last night. He said, uh, "I said, what were you saying to him that you were that you walked away laughing?" And it was an F word and uh, something else or whatever. Like was so there was an edge there. That was all within the first sort of couple of minutes. Was that something you spoke about beforehand or did the tackle kind of go, oh, we're here? Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of, the tackle, I remember it vividly. I don't remember much of the other stuff you just mentioned there, but the tackle vividly because you start the game, there's a lot of nerves. And listen, we're at home, you know, mm. so the crowd, I mean, it was one of my favourite places to play Lansdowne because just the, the the emotion, the crowd, the noise, that you know, what the Irish fans bring. You know, they love sport, don't they? The, the Irish fans, they, they come and they watch and they... But they all, always give us a chance. It was no matter who we played, the crowd always felt we had a chance. So, you know, you go out there with, with now a bit of expectation. It's like in the dressing room, it's like, right, let's see what we've got and let's see if we, if we could get something where you go out and the crowd's basically expecting you to get something. It's not if, it's, you know, you got to get something. So, you know, you're a bit nervous. The, the national anthems play, it was, it was a, you know, it hadn't gone dark, it was bright. And we, we kind of, you know, we were, we were just not, not maybe overawed with the situation, but it was for some of us, it was the biggest game that we've ever played, you know, in the sense of where it was going to take us. I mean, I never played in the qualifiers, so I never had that sense of achievement with the lads in 94. I can tell you when, you know, with, with Iran, the sense of achievement is, is phenomenal. It's something I'll never, ever forget that feeling in Iran. But that game was obviously going to take us on to that. So, you know, the tackle, the tackle was the, was the, was the moment. The tackle was the moment where you brush everything off. You, you forget about the emotion of the game. You, you're in it now. It, it's like the first punch has landed. And it's it's like it, as much as it knocked over Mars back, I think it I think it spelt out to us, right? Let's roll our sleeves up now. And you know they did battle us for twenty minutes. And, and in all honesty, on another day it could have been two or three. Could have been down. We could have been two or three down. Yeah. But um, but the tackle, you know, was was like we're in it. And then it was game on. And then I remember putting a cross in towards the end of the first half. I think Quinny chested down and Robbie had a kick. And for me, you remember the Ivan Drago moment where Rocky punches him and he cuts him and then it's that belief that you can't actually hurt them. It was like, <laughs> it was kind of like that moment yeah. then. And it was like, oh, right, we can actually like, <laughs> we can make make chances for ourselves. And with Robbie and Quinny, you know, anything can happen. So the, the game, you know, obviously goes on. Gary Kelly then smashes over Mars, gets booked. And then we're in a half time, you know, nil-nil. So it's game on. It's the equivalent, I think, of uh, of Neil Armstrong for the rest of his life being asked what it was like to walk on the moon. Do you ever get sick of being asked about the the goal against the Dutch? Is it the question you're most asked of, Jason? Uh, that and the white suits. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you know. I think whenever I go in the world, you know, you meet anyone from Ireland, and they they were at the game. We there must have been three million at that game. I think, <laughs> I, I've met every one of them, um, and everyone wants to talk about it because it's it's their memory as well. It's not 
you know, when, when we do something like these moments now, I love reminiscing because because it's yours, isn't it? It's it, it's your memory of it. it it's my memory is going to be different than yours. I know I played, but you know, my memory is different than Kevin Kilban's because we share different emotions and different. We've got different attachments to the situation. So, you know, I love talking about things like that, and I love hearing other people's stories. I mean, this this story obviously evolves into the the Bono and the U two and the Slane, and you know, it's just. You know, that is one of my biggest regrets, you know, not going up to Slane that night because I thought it was a wind-up, but it was actually a true. It was actually true. I was supposed to go on stage, but, you know, never mind. But that, that's another story. But, you know, as far as this day goes, you know, it was my moment in my career. You know, I had a fantastic career and I loved every minute of it. But I always think, you know, when you, when you put the hard yards in, like, like a lot of elite sportsmen do, there is that nice thing to have a moment just a moment, and and this is mine. This is my moment. Um, I've just out of the corner of my eye in the studio <laughs> spotted uh, Merlin's Ireland 2002 book with uh, wow. the man himself here in the front cover. Um, he wanted to talk about Roy. His his he talks about himself as not been. I uh, wasn't a great player. It wasn't technically very good. He makes an absolute mug out of Van Bommel in the lead into your goal. Yeah. Well, the, the goal comes from a corner, um, which I had to run the I had to run from the right, right over to the left um, for an in swinger. So I, it was a pretty good corner, to be honest, if I say so myself. <laughs> and the keeper comes and punches, and we obviously pick the ball up. And the best thing about the goal is the advantage, you know, because Duffer Duffer gets absolutely mullered <laughs> in a tackle, yeah, and the referee waves play on now. You know that that was a big advantage to take that free kick. It was a goal scoring opportunity. It was just outside the box, but the the ball obviously ends up over a fin, and it was a great advantage by the referee. But from me personally, I really because because the ball had gone so far back to the halfway line from the clearance. Really, I should have been on the right hand side helping Finn out. I, it should have been me putting the cross in. In all honesty, and I, I kind of I kind of ambled back on side and. I got caught up in watching, to be honest. I got ball watching. You know, you get told off for that. But I got I got caught up ball watching. I think because it was on the left as well, on the halfway line, it might give me the opportunity to track back if, if we'd have lost it. But, you know, Roy does brilliant. Duffer does brilliant. And then Finn, you know, turns back on himself onto his weaker foot, which I never understand. And he, he puts this ball in, which, you know, ends up being an in-swinger instead of an out-swinger because he's gone onto his left foot. And then Kev... Tries to tries to head it on. Duffer tries to head it on, I think. And n- no one gets a touch. And there's me, back stick, unmarked, you know, with a bouncing ball, probably getting asked to do one of the hardest techniques, which is a half volley with a bit of topspin. So, um, yeah, I can't say I've ever done it previously. And I don't think I've ever done it since. So, it, yeah, it was, it was very much set up to be my moment. And, and it, it drops. And Van der Sar, you know, he comes out, makes himself big, but not big enough. And it goes in the top corner and, you know, the, the rush of adrenaline and achievement goes through you. And it's like, like you know, it, it's, yeah, I think I jumped about 25 foot in the celebration. Yeah. And then all the lads come over and then Roy ends up at my doorstep and he just like gives me a, a bit of a like, well done, we've still got 20 minutes to go, kind of look. Yeah, get on with I it. Stop <laughs> celebrating, let's get on with it. And uh, I end up 
going back into position and then we we hold we hold out but you've asked me to pick you know you've asked me to pick a, a star from the day and I've gone with Roy because you know he he was immense through that qualifying campaign and it, it still upsets me today that he missed the World Cup in the circumstances that he did because he was arguably the best midfielder in the world at the time. And you mentioned some names there, and that's just Holland. You, you know, you go to the Italians, the English. That You know, there were some top, top Germans. There were some top, top midfielders in the world. But he was in, he was definitely in the top three. And, you know, what he, what he brought to, to the campaign, but what he brought to that day, the tackle, the leadership, you know, what he said at half time, you know, going back out for the second half. And then we were down to 10 men, you know, and it, it was get over yourself after the goal. We've still got 20 minutes to, to see this game out. And we did. I think I went off with cramp, I think, with about five minutes to go. And then obviously we, we, we won the game. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was some performance by him, but. I think everyone was man of the match on that day. Everyone. Your uh, your stickers are uh, you can't see it uh, where you're looking at us, but you're uh, you got shinies in the book. We'll send you on a picture of it. You're um, which okay. You were uh, yeah. you were particularly mean? rated. You weren't just a plain old uh, glass uh, matte <laughs> sticker. You were, you were a shiny. I'm a shiny. I mean, kids you will were, be made up. You were a shiny. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you on a picture of it. It's actually it's a beautiful um, little thing. All these years on. Uh, Whistle stop tour. The last three, right? So uh, Tiger Woods, the Open, Royal Liverpool, 2006. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm from the Wirral. Um, you know, I was born there. Uh, and I was never never really a, a golf nut. Um, but the, the, the Open hadn't been at Royal for 39 years. And, um, you know, obviously Tiger was in, his pop, was in his pomp. I think his dad had just died as well. So there was a lot of, right. like, there was a lot of emphasis on Tiger and, you know, obviously his relationship with his dad. And I, and I was a Tiger fan. I mean, I think everybody... He was, wasn't he? I mean, what he'd done for sports, um, you know, for black athletes as well. You know, the game, you know, he was opening up so much to the world, wasn't he? And, and offering so much, but he was unbelievable. I mean, the stuff, you know, you go through the, you know, you go through his, his CV. Up to then, it was it was fantastic. So, you know, going, the Open being at Royal was literally 15 minutes from my house. So... You know, I'd, I'd managed to get some tickets. I was friends with a couple of people from TaylorMade. Um, so they, I got invited. So I went I went with with a friend and we went down there. And I got a I got a text just before I went in into the in onto the course saying, Come to the truck, the TaylorMade truck. It's it's down the side of the um it's down the side of the practice area. Mm. So I was like, okay. So me and my friend, we we walk through the crowds, we get in, and then we make our way to the practice area. And as I'm as I'm going in, it was like a small gap, but it, it was like there was like a small fence. There was lots of people on the the outside of the fence, and then there was obviously all the, the coaches and and kind of friends and fam, maybe some family on the inside of the ropes. But there was a small gap to go through to get onto the inside of the ropes. So I was walking through and I was, you know, I was getting asked to do some some autographs and some photographs and stuff and, and whatever. So I was kind of in this gap where the players come in and, and start to go to start to practice. So I'm there and I'm signing some autographs and people are having a bit of a laugh and stuff and I'm talking. And next thing I, I just get a, a, excuse me, like that. So I, I kind of turn around and um, Steve's there, his caddy, 
and Tiger's standing behind him. <laughs> and it's it's the Sunday, it's the final day. So he's obviously come to the practice to warm up. So now I'm standing there blocking Tiger Woods going into <laughs> the practice area. So I'm like, I just give him a, sorry, mate. And um, and then walked in and kind of said to him, thanks very much, and walked in. And then just, you know, but what I what I felt was, you know, when someone's got a presence about them, I mean, he's tall and he's like, you know, he's he's athletic and he's like, he looks the part in his red top. Mm. And um, he just had this, he just oozed this aura and this personality and charisma. And he walked in like he owned the place. It was like he just stood out. And um, I went and watched him hit a few balls. And then I went into the truck. I went to the truck. And um, and then I watched from the truck, which was down the side of the practice area where they were hitting balls. So he then disperses and he goes, obviously, onto the putting green. And I walk back across. But I walk across the... The, the, the driver that the practice area because no one no one else is there because he's obviously in the last group so we, I walk across and the police had come onto the practice ground to stop people going on there and there's ball spotters who go and pick up all the balls so Tiger hit his own balls they were night balls at the time and he, hit, he had his own balls so people were trying to pick his balls up and identify them so I picked I picked a couple of balls up and one of them was Tiger's and there was a policeman there and I looked at it, and I looked at this policeman, <laughs> and he went, "Go on," and I just put it in my pocket. Class. And, and I you still have it? Walking. Yeah. So I, I got I got one of Tiger Woods' golf balls. That's class. So I've still got it. I've got a box at home with all stuff in it. It's in there. That's a and, great um, story. Yeah. So I, I went out, and then, I mean, I don't know if you lads have been to golf. It's quite a hard watch to golf. Mm. It's you know, it, it's a lot of walking around. You you, you you've got to be placed and, and watch them come through with the golf you can't it's difficult to walk around following someone because the crowd following tiger was just immense but i was with someone who was um she was quite famous herself and she was off the telly and we got dogs abuse to be honest the, the amount of stuff that people were shouting we, we we ended up leaving um and i went home and watched it on the telly i watched the rest of it on the telly but just to see him in the flesh to watch him hit golf balls. I mean, he, it makes a different noise. I mean, I play golf now. You know, I play golf all the time. He, he's a different animal. He, yeah. it, the noise of a golf ball when he hits it is, is it's different. It's just different. Yeah, um, well, um, incredible thing to be yeah, out, it's, to, it's, to witness him and his pomp. Just a um, yeah. uh, seriously. So the last two, right? Uh, Gino Wijnaldum against Barcelona, twenty sixteen. They blitzed him. He's uh, just in the team. Form a brilliant performance. And Floyd Mayweather against Ricky Hatton. You were in Vegas. Were you 2007? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the fight was built up. You know, Ricky was doing really, really well. Um, again, another bit of a funny story. He was doing really, really well. And he's obviously now earned the right to fight Mayweather. And it was obviously Vegas. Um, but the dates fell where my agent rang me and just said, listen, you're off. Do you want to, should we go to Vegas? So I, I watched the fight. So I was like, yeah, fancy it, yeah. So he said, I was friends with Paddy McGuinness at the time. So he, he, he said, should we ask Paddy? So I said, yeah. So he, he rang Paddy and I said, listen, you fancy Vegas, Ricky out of fight, we can get tickets. So he goes, I'm in. So we booked the flights, we fly to Vegas. Um, we go over, we get the tickets, <clears throat> um, we go to the fight. Now, the, the thing that, that struck me was 
I get, I get, we get in the the arena <clears throat> and in the hotel, we got, we, we watch the fight, great seats, great, great tickets. Um, Mayweather, he basically toyed with Ricky. And you talk about Tiger in his pomp. This was Mayweather now in his pomp. Mm. And, you know, I, I've never seen... Ricky Atten didn't put a punch on him. He didn't lay a finger on him. And it was it was crazy. He toyed with him for, for round after round after round. And then he obviously wins the fight. And then everyone kind of disperses. And we're, we're kind of hanging around, lingering around, letting the crowd go. And Mayweather comes back out. And he, he kind of gets on the mic and he introduces himself. He goes, I'm Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Because I don't think anyone expected him to come back out. He goes back out. He goes, I'm Floyd Mayweather. He went, listen, I just want to thank everyone for coming. You know, really appreciate your support. All the English fans who have come over, all the fans, all the international fans, you know, you've all come to watch. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I thought that was a really nice touch. So we were invited to the, the party after the fight. So we go and... Ricky, because he, he got knocked out, he had to go to hospital. So he turns up late. He's obviously a bit bruised and battered. So he stays about five or 10 minutes. We say hello to him. Um, he then goes. But he says to us, come and, come and see me tomorrow in the hotel. So we go, okay. So we go to his hotel the next day. And I remember knocking on his door. And he opened his door. And do you know what struck me? You could have drawn a line down the middle of his face, and this side of his face was basically out here. Mm. And this side was there was not a mark on it. It was it was just remarkable. It was either this side was out here or this side was out here, whatever it was. Mm. But it was his leading side. So obviously you leave with one side. And Mayweather just jabbed this side of his face to a pulp, basically. And then obviously knocked him out and he's obviously taken the thing. So we get in his room and he says to me, um, and Joe's in there, Joe Calzaghi. So he goes, um, listen, um, we've got to do Sports Personality of the Year and we're going to do it ringside. We've got about like 20 seats set up, like a bit of an audience, and they're going to come live to Vegas. Do you want to, do you want to come and sit with us? So, so I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah. And he's like, yeah. So we go down and we're sitting in these seats. And next thing, it's like, we're live in Las Vegas. Sports personality of the year, Ricky. Obviously, it didn't go your way last night, and then it's like, yeah. And then Joe goes on and speaks, and then um, and then afterwards, we just go for a few pints, and we're all talking away. And then um, I get a text off um, off a woman who looks after the Spice Girls, saying, um, "Spice Girls are in Mandolin Bay tonight. Um, you know, they've heard you in town. Do you want to come and watch?" So I, I was like to the lads, "Do you want to go and watch the Spice Girls tonight?" And they were like. <laughs> Yeah, let's go to Spice Girls. So we end up watching the Spice Girls. Melanie got us a couple of tickets, and we end up um, we end up about the third row back, waving to the Spice Girls in Mandalay Bay. So it was a pretty eventful trip. To be <laughs> That's amazing. Sometimes we joke about these things as being like a Forrest Gump list, but uh, yours definitely yeah. is that, and even more so having heard that last story. I miss said uh, when Alden was sixteen, nineteen, of course, uh, was that one. But look, we're out of time. It's an incredible list. Oh. You've delivered it brilliantly. Yeah. We really enjoyed your company over the last uh, half hour. Look after yourself. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed it, reminiscent. Brilliant. Thanks for Love that. We'll send you on a picture of that shiny as well. It's, there's a nice little description of you in there as well. That uh, Yeah, I'll go even higher with the boys at home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. boys. Thanks, Thanks Jason. Come on. Thank you. Take it easy. Well done. Look. That's, you had to be there. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. 
All right, quarter to ten on Monday's show. It'll be Jaron Shane, the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings, Ned Manua. We'll look back in the weekend's football. Anthony Moyles in the GEA. Rory Best will look back on the weekend's uh, rugby as well as Alan Quinlan. And we'll have plenty more as well besides. But right now, John Giles with Nathan on last night's show. Have a wonderful weekend. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.